like the whole RFK thing. I mean, you keep bringing up RFK like he's an organic expression of like the Democratic coalition. Like, no, he's promoted by like right wingers exclusively. He's on Fox News. He's not on other. It's like almost. It's almost. It's not. It's probably not a psyops, but it's like it's almost like what a, exactly what a right wing psyop would look like. I think liberalism's biggest natural advantage is, and I think right wingers don't want to. Uh, this is that like a lot, most people agree with liberalism like most people like want to tax the rich and don't and don't agree with markets and so like when people organize politically they're usually to be on the left and so and it's also human nature to give into women's tears and to give into groups that are uh, crying a lot and so it's this, it's this thing where like the left is with human nature on economics Hi, hi, welcome, welcome. This is the From the New World podcast. Today I'm speaking with Richard Hanania, the third time on the show. Richard has authored books such as Public Choice Theory and the Illusion of Grand Strategy, as well as his upcoming book, The Origins of Woke, and has an excellent substack at richardhanania.com. We discuss a bit of affirmative action of the ruling and issues relating to his new book, but he's been discussing those ideas on many podcasts recently, and we decided to take a bit of a different route and discuss populism, the GOP, and a bit on the future of conservatism and America in general. As always, number one way to support the show is to let a friend know, either in person or online. There's nothing like your recommendation, and hopefully you're not just helping us, but you're helping a friend find something that he's interested in and informative. Without further ado, here's Richard Hanania. And we're rolling. So, I don't know, a big thing that seems to have happened uh, is uh, Vivek. Uh, Vivek really seems to be doing well in the polls. There was this one poll where he got, I think, 10%. But he seems to be climbing more generally. Do you have any hopes for him? I don't know. Like, so I'm trying to figure out if that poll was actually an outlier because I saw him like I, I thought that he had plateaued for a really long time or even slept. He was like a three for a while and then he was like a two. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's actually a trend, but it's called Echelon Insights. Um, and here I'm at the 538 page and I'm seeing if there's uh, like what's the other latest uh, polls are. Um, so let's see here. Okay. Oh, actually great. 538 has like a rolling average over time. It has like a graph which shows like how people are doing. So it has, um, let's see if we can see Vivek. It has Vivek right now at 3.9%. Can I, can I just zoom in on what Vivek was at, uh, before that? Yeah, it has him. Okay. So it, oh, here we go. This is great. So on June one, we're now in July 5th. Vivek, they had at 3.5. Okay. At May 1, they had him at 3.1. On April 1, they had him at 1.2. Okay. So he hit three, he hit three. And now this one thing comes out with him at 10, and that brought his average up to uh, 3.8. So he's plateaued or, or gone up a little bit. I was bullish on Vivek uh, from the start. I said Vivek is uh, a great communicator. He's good on selling a positive culture war message. I mean, I think that to contrast with the uh, DeSantis campaign, which I've written about a lot, which I think have been terrible, has been way too online, has been way too negative, has been way too um, cowardly as, as far as, uh, you know, not sort of, you know, not uh, assertive enough and standing up to Trump. Yeah, I mean, Vivek has run a great campaign. He's surpassed my wildest expectations by being at, you know, three or 4%. Um, is he going to win? No, it's going to be Trump. And th- th- that's just sort of all there is to it. But, uh, you know, I'm glad Vivek is there. And I think he's doing a great job. 
Right. I think some people people had the criticism of him that he's basically, you know, he's running for VP, right? That that he's not really throwing that many punches at Trump. Even someone like, you know, Chris Christie or someone like Nikki Haley, they're really antagonistic towards Trump. Or or a cabinet position, right? Yeah, I think he's yeah. he's, he's looking through his future in the Republican Party and I think he's got he's got one. I mean, like that that wouldn't be all that bad, right? I'd be happy to see Vivek as like, you know, commerce secretary or something. Yeah, no, the Commerce Secretary would be great. Um, Department of Labor would be great. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Vivek. I mean, I think he's like, you know, I, there was I was I featured in this article on Vox um, that was you know had uh, mentioned me as and talked about my podcast with Vivek and talked about affirmative action um, and like sort of the how he's adopted some of my ideas about uh, particularly uh, in contracting. Um, and then one of the, one of it one of the things it says was it this article or maybe it was another article? It says like he doesn't really he has populist messages sometimes, but he really doesn't really pretend to be a populist, which I just think is so important. I think that there's actually right wingers are now uh, politicians who actually are like populists who believe in stupid trade stuff. But no, I think for Vivek, it's uh you know he still believes in sort of colorblindness and and merit and capitalism. And when he dabbles in populism, it's just you know it's just for clicks and effect. It's it's not uh, like an economic agenda or anything. So I think that's very important right right yeah like some people some people complain about that but for us maybe that's a good thing yeah Uh, you mentioned you mentioned in one of your articles i think like if if, like liberals really want to worry about you know the future of conservative intellectual thoughts they should really pay attention to you uh i think you said like last time you were on this podcast that that you that um liberals really want to see you know the kind of intellectual fervor of republicans that's why they're into like curtis and whatever but like the last few the last few months have really kind of set me away from that perspective i think that most of the time they're just looking for like they're just looking for straw men uh yes i mean the straw men are easy to find the straw men have taken over the republican party so if i mean if you see <laughs> yeah. you know, rob flipanowski i mean these are these are trump people these are rally you know they're going they're yeah yeah exactly them. they're going for marjorie taylor green you know lauren bobert like those people get way more coverage than curtis uh, well, I mean, of course, there would, if Curtis was in Congress, he would get all. I mean, he would get all. Like, <laughs> that, that, uh, I want to see that happen. That would be great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're covering Trump. They're covering the overwhelming front runner and like the people Trump surrounds himself with, and Trump's biggest and you know most of, like I can't look away. I mean, it's it's a fascinating uh, show. Are they fascinated <laughs> by it because it's stupid? It's like yeah, they are, but like it's like the fact that it's successful is why it gets the press. Now, Curtis is over covered relative, you know, over relative to his actual influence, no offense to him. Um, but you know, there's guys you've never heard of who've worked on serious legislation, uh, that are not getting, you know, profiles at Vanity Fair, uh, or whatever. So yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, it's sort of a, uh, you know, it's sort of a, uh, 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 man bites dog story when you see a conservative inte- intellectual at this point. I don't know if they're always looking for conservative intellectuals, but I think like the you know the the sort of the the landscape of conservative intellectuals is so barren uh, that when they find one, it's actually quite interesting. Yeah, the the, the exception maybe is Patrick Deneen, right? It's very interesting how much liberals love Patrick Deneen. It is, uh, yeah. I mean, did did it, you read his new book? No, I listened to him on uh, Ezra Klein. Uh, the Ezra Klein show. I, did you listen to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I'll I mean, link I wasn't, it for the audience as well. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't too too impressed um, with the arguments. I'm not, you know, traditionally, you know, been too impressed with the uh, uh, the critiques of liberalism, uh, so to speak. You're right. He does get a lot of attention. Um, 
And so I think that's I think that's part of it. I, mean, I think they, they are looking for just anyone who could put an intellectual. I mean, he's like what? He's like a political philosopher who wrote a book on political philosophy, critiquing liberalism. Um, are there a lot of people doing that um, who aren't just like, who like have serious credentials? I don't know. Like, is, is I don't know what Deneen's secret is. He might just be, you know, he might just be the only one who's doing this. I mean, I think the national conservatism is the same thing. It's, it's the American compass. I mean, these they just get coverage because they're, you know, they're, they're intellectuals and they're doing something new. I, I, I think there's like in the marketplace, it's very, you know, it's very, uh, you know, I think that there's been like the rise of like, you know, attention seekers who are very good at getting attention. And then you have like sort of like Normie Washington, like the, you know, I think if you look at something like the uh, support for Ukraine on the right, right. If you look at like the house, uh, you know, the arms, you know, the armed services committee and the guys on that, they all are, the big supporters of Ukraine. And I, and I suspect most of the people that actually matter in Washington on the Republican side are big supporters of Ukraine, right? Um, and then the people who are not tend to be more specialized towards like the news cycle and like social media. Um, and not that they don't have any influence at all. I mean, they, I think they do have uh, some influence, but not nearly as much as you would think from like paying attention to the discourse. Yeah, I, I think like, yeah, like political economy leaves this like hole for the media right or whole for political media where yeah i think there is this like populist wing that's like well there's another thing is people like like what's interesting is someone having a whole new theory of the way the world works like yarvin or like patrick denid who says liberalism failed like for the media type like the word cells that's like so like interesting right and like if someone who just says like i have this like very narrow policy idea of like how to make government less woke uh, it's just not, you know, not as interesting to people, right? They like these sort of very broad, like philosophical takes, whether or not those actually end up having a lot of influence in the real world. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I think there are like wings, right? There, there are like people who want, you know, there are people who want like reactions to the news stories that they don't like, the, they don't like the theory stuff. Um, yeah, there are like, I think different people just have different interests yeah that's so that's true right so like something that's interesting with how how liberals are covering the the supreme court uh case yeah the 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 premise of you coming here on the podcast today is that we're supposed to discuss uh we're supposed to discuss affirmative action the supreme court recently uh ruled against harvard and said that their current practices of affirmative action are illegal um, but something interesting about how, how liberals cover this case, I think like this is a very, very important asymmetry is that they almost like never mention Asians, right? Like the, they, they almost are like entirely fixated on uh, blacks, sometimes mentioning uh, Hispanics. I think you mentioned you like had a tweet about this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a New York Times. It was the editorial page op-ed, and I think it right, right, yeah, ten times Latino, six times Hispanic, three and Asian zero. Despite Asians being sort of the subject of the case. Yeah, and I think you had something about you had something about class-based affirmative action. I, I just don't think there's there's like much motivation there, right? There's there's not a lot of motivation for affirm for class-based affirmative action. There's not a lot about of motivation about kind of talking about kind of intra-white. Uh, you know, conflict or intra-white, you know, redistribution. They, they really do just care about it. Like, like it's almost like an SEO search, you I know, like so, if you yeah. have black in the title, they care about it. I think it's like, but they, I think that like, if they have to, 
like I think there's this like communist impulse, like you know, it's like the you know the the sort of the class based stuff like declined as the race obsessive. You know, I'm, I'm just talking about general like in Western society sure. on the left, and, and like if they're forced by law, let's say. Uh, to not care about race that much. It's just it's just forced on them, like by public opinion and by the you know decisions of the Supreme Court. I could imagine the class based stuff come back. I mean, I was surprised by the uh, uh, the just the furor with which, like in response to SFFA v. Harvard, they just kept talking about class based affirmative action, even though like no our legacy admissions, right? I was just surprised, like how like how just how much they kept going back to that. Not like conservatives are like big supporters of legacy admissions or they care about it or they have anything to do with Harvard. It was just like this anger, like, oh no, we can't do, you know, we can't do, uh, you know, race-based affirmative action. We're still good people and we still take the side of the underdog. So let's get rid of legacy. It's framed more now as like get rid of legacies. It's not like as much like help poor white people. It's like stick it to the, you know, who we imagine to be the uh, rich white people. Um, but you can, you know, you can imagine this stuff, you know, becoming more the was a New York Times uh, article that I uh, that I linked to in my Substack uh, today that uh, inc- encouraging Democrats to win back the white working class, co- you know, white working class yeah, voters who, yeah. who left them, and you know they could talk themselves into really getting into this stuff. I don't think it's I don't think it would be great, but you know you, you could imagine it. I don't know. At the at the end of the day, you know, I I, I don't think they want poor white working class people at university, like. like there, there's a kind of populist version where you know that they all like secretly kind of spit on you know have you ever heard like the populists use the word like chuds uh, i've heard the people use the word chuds i don't know how populists use the word chuds or yeah yeah it, it's 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 the same way you know like basically lower class white people um that, that's that's what it's referring to but uh yeah like like populists will say this kind of sarcastically or they'll say this you know making fun of uh, making fun of like quote unquote elite liberals, but I, I think that what happens is like th- there is a version of this that's real, right? It's not just like the populists making this stuff up. There, there is a kind of class sent- class like resentment there, where a lot of you know college educated people don't don't really want to be around you know like who- people who they consider rubes. Mm, I don't. I mean. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, they don't like in their revealed preferences. Like all people, yeah, exactly, exactly. Don't. That's true, but I, I don't know if that necessarily uh, uh, tells you much about sort of their ideology. I think there's just a part of their brain that says we are, you know, the people who are on the side of those who are, you know, whoever the victim or whoever the unfortunate uh, happens to be, and you and white you know, uh, poor white people, even if they don't want to be stuck in an elevator with them or something, um, they do have a role to play sort of in that universe. They they can fit into that template and just like play their assigned role as as the victims. Now they'll never be the victims that black that blacks are. Um they'll never have that, you know, place you know, they'll never be that close to the heart of uh, uh, of elite liberals. Uh, but, you know, I do think there is, and some of it's genuine, just don't like mock it. We don't have to just mock it as like, uh, you know, the sentimentality or or, uh, or uh, some kind of, you know, virtue signaling. We could say there is, you know, a, uh, a genuine desire to help. I think it's real. I don't think, you know, I think the, that's why I think the class-based stuff is, it's worth heading off. It's worth not letting this thing sort of, uh, uh uh, sort of, you know, become like something they're too into. I agree with you emotionally right now. It's not like the biggest motivation in the world. I hope it doesn't. Uh, I hope it doesn't become that. Even if it does become that, I don't think the preferences for class will ever be equal to race just because I don't think it has uh, as much power um, in the minds of liberals and I don't think it will. Uh, but still, yeah, it is something worth worrying about. 
Sorry, you can go on. No, no, that's it. Yeah, I think like here's the biggest problem. Where here's where I most blackpilled is that you basically have a professional activist class, right? They can either be doing civil rights, they can be you know like suing, um, they can be suing Harvard for legacy admissions now, which you know I'm not totally against removing, but there's just like so much. There, there's so much funding and so much sentiment and so much you know basic just just labor going into these you know, at best neutral, more often than not destructive tasks, and they're just going to find something to do, right? I, I guess the question is, like, how, how do we best, like, exhaust them? Yeah, maybe just have them riot every now and then. Maybe that's the least damage. <laughs> make, it, make it like France. Yeah, they just let them riot. I mean, that's the best, you know, the, the least bad use of their time. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing we should say is there's not a, like, a set, uh, you know, fixed amount of these people, right? I mean, the extent to which we fund the education system, uh, you know the um, uh, you know the extent to which uh, corporations make these kind of uh, you know pay these protection payments uh, to these activists. I think the education system really is the big one. It's just a giant yeah, pool yeah. of money and the social sciences and the humanities and you know the K through twelve. I mean, there's just massive money beyond uh, anything else. You know, our society puts towards activists. Yeah, I mean, I think we should. I think that that's true. I mean. You know, they're all the fact that they're you know so superficial. They're so into virtue signaling can make them you know unaf- you know unaffected. There's probably like they do a lot less damage than they potentially could if they were all like smart and driven and like the ineffective altruist versions of like, <laughs> or leftists. You know, the fact that yeah. they're not that effective uh, egalitarianism would be so cursed. Yeah, it's good. I mean, but yeah, I mean the uh, you know something Gail Harriot says is there the, you know there's a punitive damages caps on. Civil rights violation. So if you sue somebody, you win a civil rights case. You could get up to three hundred thousand uh, per per lawsuit for individual, right? If you discriminate based on race and sex. Now that three hundred thousand is uh, that punitive damage limit was set by sta- the statute, the nineteen ninety one Civil Rights Act. What's happening over time is that um, inflation is cutting into that. It's not keeping. Oh, up. nice, it's, nice. So it all becomes, it's it's yeah. not it's not uh, it's not real. It's nominal. Yeah, it's 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 nominal. It's it's the number okay. of thousand is in the legislation. That's for the biggest corporation. It's lower for uh, smaller companies, uh, right? So, like you know, that's it's a lot of money if you could do like a class action. You could get like a bunch of people together. Um, but yeah, over time, that's becoming less and less valuable. And this one thing I show in my forthcoming book is like the civil rights lawsuits seem to have peaked. Um, you know, like uh, you know, I think in the. Uh, 1990s or early 2000s, the number of civil rights lawsuits as a percentage of all lawsuits federal, uh, filed in uh, federal ca- uh, federal cases, um, and so that might be that might be what's going on here. Uh, and so yeah, but they're, I mean, they're going to, but they, you know what's got up disability disability ADA disability has gone through the roof, uh, and so like the lo- number of lawyers isn't increasing uh, literally. Right, right. Thing. I saw this New York Times profile on like this guy who is just like going around suing like Californian businesses. Yeah, it's a disaster. Right? California just has like, its... man, and this person was so self-righteous too. Like, just yeah yeah exactly. you, you know like if this person was just machiavellian if this person was like you know the law exists i'm gonna like sue people i'm gonna get rich off of it you know that would actually be like less repulsive to me than like the, this kind of ideology yeah i think i think that's right that it's true with all of these uh people no we're, we're yeah we're on the same side here you're right you could just i mean you just have to sort of accept that there's some set number of activists out there and you just have to find ways to make their lives harder yeah and like not not just like 
this is the thing about Trump, right? Like, like Trump is the show. Trump is entertaining. You know, he's kind of a magnet for all this, all the media coverage as well. You know, for for every you know like hit piece against some interesting conservative academic that they could be doing, that that there there's like ten hundred or a hundred or more um, articles about Trump. So, so, so like that's the case for Trump, right? Like, like it's just real. He's just an attractor for all of the the bullshit that goes on. Yeah. That's that's true. Yeah, Trump is <laughs> Trump is entertaining. That's why that's why uh, you can't knock him off. He's just he's just too. Much yeah, fun. yeah. I, I feel like this is an article that that you're you're waiting to write. You you've kind of mentioned this a few times in your other articles, but just like the sheer entertainment value of Trump. If as a yeah, as a utilitarian, you have to consider it, right? I mean, you have to consider that like it's a lot of fun to watch this guy, and people are entertained, and you know, it's like a, it's like a you know, what is the uh, consumer surplus? Of paying attention to politics, <laughs> now maybe it makes people miserable. Actually, maybe you know it could be probably negative. Yeah, but, true. You know, liberals go crazy and conservatives start to get paranoid and you know think everyone's out to get them. But it, it's worth something. I mean, me, I, I like to be entertained, so it's you know it's a positive for me. Um, and I just have an aesthetic preference for like entertaining politics. Although you know, I understand all the reasons why people think Trump is bad. Yeah, I don't know. Is there? Is there more to that though? Like Elon Musk has this quote, like the the world bends towards the most entertaining outcome, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, do, you, know do you think that that's a actual like rule in politics that like, you know, like the way to be successful? Like, like let's say let's say like Vivek is in the room with us, right? And he says, you know, like how 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 do I get even more popular? How do I become you know how how do I become vice president? Or you know how do I win? Right? Would we tell him to like just be the most entertaining version of Vivek possible? Yeah, I th- I think so, and I think that's uh. Yeah, I think that's what he's good at. I mean, if you know, if you want to like give a value to like Trump, like from the conservative side, that's not just about entertainment. You could say Trump is like sort of like a shelling point. Like people just mm. sort of see Trump, like you know, the Republican Party, uh, you know, is like these different factions and these people that like you know maybe you get this candidate like DeSantis that people are sort of interested in, sort of not. He's just like a a normal you know candidate that doesn't inspire. Uh, that much passion uh, either way. But like Trump is just like a rallying cry for like everyone who hates wokeness and like everyone who wants to do something about it and just everyone who hates, you know, liberals, if you want to be more uh, expansive in sort of who your uh, who your enemies are. Um, and, you know, the fact that like he's, you know, there's he's sort of, you know, just the cult of personality sort of instills a kind of discipline uh, on, on conservatism, it just gives them this line that, like, you know, it could be bad. I mean, it could be leading them off the cliff. I think that's arguably what happened in uh, uh, 2022. Uh, but, you know, the idea of Trump as like a shelling point for the right, I think, is or anti woke forces, I think, is just very interesting. Right. But he's not a shelling point for the like Barry Weiss does not endorse Trump, right? Like, I, I guess, I guess they're like yeah, somewhat Barry against Weiss. DeSantis now, too, but they're like very anti Trump. Yeah. But Barry Weiss is not, I mean, I'm talking about like, not journalists, not like center right, you know, center right or center left journalists, but just like sort of like he Trump inspires, like, you know, there's like these articles in uh, like, I don't know, ProPublica or Mother Jones or something. They have like all these like, uh, like Bannon got all these like mega people to like go take over like the, um, uh, like the infrastructure of like how states run elections and like all these different states, right? Uh, sure. Or the counties. And so they ran for these like little positions that nobody cared about. Like nobody is doing that for like Ted Cruz or like DeSantis, right? It just became like Trump because Trump could like inspire all this action. And this sort of became like the priority uh, of the Republican Party. Now it's, you know, maybe 
uh, maybe um, positive, maybe negative, but I think it is it is effective in, in pushing collective action, right? Um, huh. And so, yeah, I think there is there is something about like just the man who's every everyone's eyes, you know, turned towards becoming sort of like you know the the focus of activity. I think there's something powerful in that. It's sort of like you know, it's sort of like a uh, you know, like when there's a when there's like a you know, there's like a revolution and the king is like overthrown, and then like there's a legitimate heir. He might be like the grandson or something. He doesn't have any power. He's just in exile somewhere, right? He doesn't have like an yeah, army under yeah. his control. But like the people who oppose the new regime, like the royalists, they have just something to hold on to, right? And so that guy becomes very important, right? I think Trump's like role in our culture is something like that. Yeah, so so he's a unifying. I don't know. I, I think he's he's such an important role in unifying liberalism. Yeah, like, I think that's true too. That's the flip side of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like maybe this is something we we disagree on. I know we disagreed in the, on this in private before. That like I don't think the left wing coalition can hold. I don't. I think like without Trump, even if it's DeSantis, you know, like th- there's no reason for like RFK voters and. Um, and Bernie Sanders. Voters, there are no RFK and, voters. And you're too, voters. You're too online. There's no RFK. He's, po- he's pulling at like what, fifteen percent? Yeah, I mean, people who like the name Kennedy. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. Sure, sure. Yeah, but like, I think so. So, like, number one, do you think that like if if the Democratic primary were held today, like like they wouldn't actually vote for him? Uh, I mean, they might, but like losing fifteen percent to like a Kennedy is not like a big deal i mean in the in the grand scheme of things I, you know i don't don't if you had a, if you had like an actual open primary like a lot of presidents would uh you know would would uh would have opposition um you know whether the whether the democratic coalition will hold look i think there there was a battle um you know like iglesias has written about it i've linked to this on uh you know things like over school choice right so over things like uh education reform where like you had these centrists versus these uh you know crazy people who wanted to do whatever the unions want the crime stuff obviously uh divides the left um so if trump went away i think at this point things are something becoming so polarized that i don't think like i think what happened was like if trump disappeared um today uh, right to say the nominee would be DeSantis. DeSantis represents yeah. something. He represents an understanding that conservatives have that like leaving the institutions alone doesn't work. It's not as powerful as like Trump, just the per- cult of personality of Trump, but that's like the second biggest, right? That's the second biggest um, uh, idea or current within uh, the conservative side of the aisle. And the way liberals react to like DeSantis, the so-called book bans, um, or the, you know, the going after like, you know, AP courses and, you know, whatever, black studies or, or whatever it is, uh, it's really made me, you know, pessimistic that like there is like a center you know, a center left anymore. I think the greater world. No, it's it's not a center left. It's like a conspiracy theory left. Meh. Like like that's what I think. Like the Sanders Kennedy voters are. You know, but I don't think they like, matter. Think they're people who hate the institutions, like even more, arguably even more than like Trump people hate. I don't the think that's. I don't think that's true. Kennedy and Sanders are different. Okay, so Sanders. Um, you know, got did real did get real votes, right? Unlike unlike Kennedy, and like you know, Kennedy, like he's not been into like a real campaigner. Just the people they the name Kennedy. I think if they got exposed to him, I mean, I think it probably wouldn't do would wouldn't be polling even as well. But Sanders is a real thing, and he got a lot of votes. Now, do people who voted for Sanders are are they people who like hate institutions and want to tear them down? I don't think so. I don't think that Sanders is 
persona. Sanders is, you know, a, a member of the Democratic, you know, he's, I think he's an independent, but he votes like, you know, he's a piece, he's practical, actually, in his politics and the way he, you know, parliamentary procedures. He talks about redistributing wealth. He doesn't, you know, he talks about all this other stuff. Um, it's not like, it's not like Trump, though. It's not at the same level of, or it's not like even like a Jill Stein or like RF Kennedy. Like, you know, Sanders doesn't talk about like, public health being bad or it's just you know it's just old school socialism like the rich people are bad but like sanders voters are still like they still like universities they still like scientists um you know they're not against like you know they still like immigrants they're 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 not like you know there's not a general anger uh at the world so i think that's i think that's where the democratic party is you're imagining like i think what you're imagining sanders voters is like jill stein voters just like people who like are sort of like pro-Russia and like uh, anti, you know, anti-establishment, anti-vaccine. I don't know if Joel Stein is anti-vaccine, but like, you know, RFK is, um, you know, and, and I don't think that that's a huge portion of the Democratic Party. I think people prone to that kind of things are probably apolitical or Republican at this point. Hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not 100% confident on this, but we'll see, right? We'll see. Um, I don't know. What, what's the kind of bet we could do on this? Like, uh, I mean, you don't. You, do you feel? Do you feel like RFK is gonna like? Do you think that like Biden's gonna have trouble in the primary? I don't think he's gonna have trouble. Like, I don't think I, I don't think RFK is gonna get like fifty percent of the primary vote. I think he's gonna okay. get like I don't know. F- Fifteen doesn't seem too far from it, right? Um, if they actually do primaries, I mean, I like if they shocked. actually do primaries. I mean, I'm like just... there, there's a kind of conditional there, right? Like if they actually do primaries, they're probably forced to by some sub significant part of the voter base i mean 15 percent in a two-man primary race is not i mean is not is not impressive to me um let's see okay sure so so maybe we don't disagree that like when i say like the the democratic coalition can't hold i don't mean like you know most of the people are going to be you know like like, i kind of mean that like there's gonna be like some fraction of both the kind of intellectual elite and the kind of and also of the public that splits off kind of like the never trumpers right so so like the never trumpers they have this kind of like separate movement like nikki haley how much is she getting in the republican uh nomination like less than less than rfk at this point right you can add up like haley and uh chris christie and whoever uh whoever you want and i'm sure some of some of the never trumpers are voting for desantis too like i think that like in the same way that's conservatism is not a kind of coherent stable thing right we we kind of know like liberalism as a kind of like stable coherent philosophy about kind of like defending legacy institutions and preventing misinformation and being you know and the affirmative action stuff as well believing in basically this kind of Whig history i think like in the same way that you know ideologically the republican party became mixed up that ideologically the democratic party will become mixed up even if in reality that's only like 20 percent of the party that's actually like revolting over what the democratic party is well i mean look every party has factions right and like disagreements and i, I guess the way i interpret uh you know your question about the democrats is like on a historical perspective is the modern democratic party uh more or less uh uh, fracturous than you know other parties have been and i think from that perspective it's probably like one of the most united <laughs> you know parties that yeah I yeah that, really... that's what i'm saying right like I, I think that the current democratic party is much more united than it's going to be uh well i mean partly because of trump and partly because of 
because well, of that, like what is, I mean, what does that what does that mean? So I I think that like the Sanders, so like uh, the Sanders and Warren people who didn't win took it extremely well. I mean, you could imagine if Trump lost, like how well his his followers would would take it within the Republican, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Republican primary. Um, no, I think that both sides are like you know the I think the antagonisms between conservatives and liberals are really swallowing everything i mean i think that like people are just like frightened and horrified by what's on the other side and like you know if there's like people who just dislike the establishment and like you know don't support ukraine and you know don't like covid like you know people like you know rfk i I just think those people are like you know they're republicans or they don't fit in closely to any call you know within any either coalition at this point and they're you know, they're really not important. They're not important in the grand scheme of things. I think they, you know, if they are important, they're on the right. I think the, uh, uh, I think the partisan, the, you know, the negative uh, partisanship uh, based on the cultural issues that, um, you know, we've been talking about for the last, you know, decade or two, uh, decade and a half in this country that's dominated our politics. I see every indication that's going to continue. That's going to be the fault line. And if that continues, um, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a recipe for uh, polarization within society, but also unification within each coalition. Don't you think there's a lot of tribal loyalty, though, that like people have tribal loyalty to the Dem- to the Democrats? And even though they might be like, obviously, this is a, m- a minority, but even though they might be like anti-vax, you know, they're, they're not they're not changing sides, but they will vote for RFK Jr. Um, no, I, I think that, you know, I think that you're getting more sorting. I mean, I think you're getting more sorting based on ideology right and so are there people like i mean you 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 see this i mean you see the democrats are becoming the trust the experts party they're the party of institutions that's clearly what's going on like the whole rfk thing i mean you keep bringing up rfk like he's an organic expression of like the democratic coalition like no he's promoted by like right wingers exclusively he's on fox news he's not on other it's like almost it's almost it's it's probably not a psyops but it's like it's almost like (laughs) exactly what a right wing psyops would look like right it you know he doesn't have many big left-wing supporters um and so conservatives like well it's just the, the entire campaign is just like wish casting and then you see polls like okay, the name RFK gets you 15% of the vote. Although I did see it like it, go, it had gone down in like another poll, maybe because people are being exposed to who the guy actually is. But, you know, there's no evidence he's setting the Democratic Party of color. It's completely astroturf wish casting on the, on the part of the right. I don't think he represents anything within the Democratic coalition. Okay, I think the, I think the 15% is real. But um, okay, we, we can agree to disagree on that. that. That's a great quote, by the way, like, if, if if I don't know what uh, RFK is, what an, a right wing psyop would look like. That that's going in the intro. Yeah, uh, except it's, not that, except it's not that it's, it's not that good. I mean, it would be like at the level of you know what conservatives are capable of. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like people have accused. I think like Chamath accused like David Sachs of doing this, right? Uh, of like doing a fundraiser for RFK as a kind of right wing psyop. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know what any particular individual believes, but I mean, it is, uh, yeah, it is strange. I think for David's case, I think he is, he really, really cares about the Russia-Ukraine war and takes the dovish position on what the U.S. should be doing. So with him, it could be, it could be a legitimate feeling just because that's like, you know, such an important issue to him. But you're right. A lot of these people are, 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 you know, some people at least are certainly not, you know, are not uh, on the up and up as far as why they're supporting or why they're boosting uh, Kennedy. Okay, so, so so let's talk of about the affirmative action case because I think there is some interesting stuff to talk about here that you haven't covered on previous podcasts. 
there does seem to be all of the all of the liberal judges who are left are all very young now, right? Like all of them were appointed in the last in the last eleven years, I think, right? Or no, fifteen, fifteen. Uh the which judges? The the liberal judges. Yeah, they were all, Kagan, they were, they're, all uh, Obama, they're all Obama or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obama. or Obama or Biden, yeah, yeah, and there there does seem to be like a lot of a lot of disdain right now. Um, well, like people, people have said, like people, there are people on Twitter who argue, you know, like oh, there, there's always been a lot of kind of referencing and like snipe judges sniping at each other. But it does seem in this case, in this case in particular, I think like uh, you highlighted this in your thread. Actually, I'm going to link to that in the in the show notes. Um, yeah, what, what do you think? What do you think is the kind of interpersonal conflict between, especially like Sotomayor and Jackson and the kind of conservative court? Yeah, I don't know. Some people's pop, uh, ideology isn't always like a perfect predictor of how you know, well they get along. You know, Scalia famously was uh, like friends with Kagan. I mean, they, they apparently got along really well. Um, but yeah, well, wasn't it uh, Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg? I think I heard. Uh, I think I saw some uh, coverage of that as well. Uh, let me see, Scalia. Yeah, maybe, maybe Scalia just had a lot of. Uh, 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 friend. Maybe he's just a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, and maybe a Kagan, Kagan too. Yeah, maybe uh, RBG. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, they're both, yeah, both. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that like there is this kind of, uh, there is. I mean, it's interesting the fact that the entire liberal wing is is female, right? Um, that all right, you know, huh. and, and so like if you're just like imagine people who like naturally you know females maybe tend to be friends with other females and males might be males just that alone uh, would make them you know one way you might you might be worried that like Amy Cody Barrett is gonna like be influenced <laughs> it could have been like one reason not to you know appoint Barrett although she's maintained you know she stayed pretty conservative um, yeah I think that, that you know that that's part of it I think Clarence you know the unique position of Clarence Thomas it's not like there's a lot of people like him who are like that like able to be like an intellectual leader on the right and like you know you know unquestionable credentials is like you know a black man from the uh, uh from the south um who can speak with like moral authority that conservatives really get you know uh excited about and then like have like uh Kataji Brown Jackson um you know attack him as somebody who's more representing the uh you know more representative of Ivy how Ivy League black people are black graduates uh think um yeah and so I think that that's there um you know and I, I think that like yeah I think there is uh, you know there you do sense it sort of in the opinion I think the Jackson I think most of the other things are, you know, they weren't that remarkable, but I think the Jackson and the Thomas uh, back and forth, I think was very interesting. And yeah, Kagan signed on uh, to the Jackson one. I mean, liberals are not, they're not used to losing. I mean, they, they, they don't like, they don't, they're not taking it well, right? Maybe they'll get used to it over the years, but like you, you could tell they just, they feel like they've had like sort of the upper head for a while. And just because Ginsburg happened to die at the right time, now they don't. It's just like, it's interesting how, you know, these things sort of work out just sort of based on chance and contingency. Yeah, I, I saw this Josh Hammer um, op-ed the other day, which which really just like summarized all of the, all, all of the left wing kind of like, clamoring about losing it it does seem like like this is the whole uh, i mean you know there's a charitable interpretation of it there are some people um who i think are genuinely just worried about like january 6th and whatever right but like all these articles that are like the the rise of the far right or like the 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 threat to democracy you know you're, you're seeing this about ai now i think like yeah it's just 
it's just like this this is what an ideology looks like when it expects to be totalitarian and just isn't right it's just yeah like like how did that how did that happen how did how did that how did they end up being so confident about this yeah. is it just like republicans being stupid for two decades is that I, what it is i think so yeah i think they look at republicans and they they probably yeah they probably it does give them a higher estimation of their own intelligence and competence right? <laughs> I mean, for, for justifiable reasons yeah. um you do, you do have i mean the you know the edu- the explosion in credentialism. I mean, I think is is really interesting, right? And just the way sort of that became sort of a status marker uh, for people. Um, yeah, you even see this in like Jackson's Jackson's brief, right? Yeah, yeah. or uh, her her opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the experts, like they mention experts. She mentions it keeps mentioning experts as like the people you should defer to. You know, that was like not something that liberals talked about a lot in the previous generation. Yeah, I think the universe. I think we're seeing. I mean, the downstream effects of the universities going uh, insane. So, uh, um, when do you plan on releasing this? Uh, probably actually, since this is so on, uh, this is so on topic. Probably just next Monday. Okay. Well, uh, it's not going to be out by then, but uh, Chris Rufo has a book uh, uh, coming out on uh, July 18th that I'm going to review for my own Substack. So that's breaking news uh, here. Um, and yeah, I mean, it goes. For, first, folks. Yeah. What's, what's that? You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you heard it here, yeah. folks. Sorry, I'm previewing my own, uh, yeah, my own book review. Um, yeah, I mean, he does like make a strong case of like how like the literal the, the literal terrorists of the 1960s and 70s, you know, the weather underground people, the Black Panthers, they did end up taking over the universities. Um, and this is sort of and like you know, the, I think the 1990s is re, you know really when it like when they were just like you know they just sort of bulldozed the opposition and really grew all the and all these like sort of uh, fake studies programs grew and you know with the rise of bureaucracy and all that and then like later I mean this is like they they sort of there was a generational replacement thing and I think that like what happened with a lot of reasonable liberals um, or people who would have been reasonable liberals but you know ended up going along with the craziness is they they looked to the right. And they were horrified by what they saw, you know, Trumpism, election denial, uh, you know, uh, uh, birtherism was a big thing. I mean, people like underestimate this, but like, uh, you know, Trump uh, originally became um, uh, sort of like a like a big, like seeming important, seemingly important figure of the Republican Party by questioning Obama's, uh, whether Obama was born in the U.S. and playing on the birther thing. Now, I was at law school at the University of Chicago at the time, and people loved to joke about this. It wasn't at the point where people were like hysterical, our democracy is over, racism, like people could still joke. But it was just like, oh, Obama's birth certificate, I haven't seen it yet, ha ha ha. It was like such a thing. They were like so entertained by like, this is what Republicans were into, and justifiably so. Like, And I remember actually one of my professors used the Obama birth certificate thing as like an exam question so it was like a property class and it was like it was like obama's praying at the west wall at the west wall in israel um in jerusalem and he, you know how like you're so you put a note in there or something and like he puts a note in there that says i really wasn't born in america and then somebody finds it um and then it's like a property question like who owns that note uh and then like obama says it's a joke and there's this big controversy anyways i'm butch i'm butchering this but it, it was a legal question on a on a property exam right um and so i think that like yeah you had these this communist takeover you had the right just you know the polarization um of the right and you just did have like i think a lot of it's just like physical or emotional intimidation like uh like you know women's tears of course but also like you know uh uh, the pressure of blacks who had gotten in through affirmative action, who had become like, uh, you know, professors, like due to, you know, due to the rise of these, you know, sort of uh, fake BS fields. And 
you know, the, the, I think that that effect of like being repulsed by the right plus being sort of like intimidated or manipulated for the left, I think really just drew in, um, you know, people who would have been either reasonable moderates or like maybe would have gone right wing. Uh, in a previous generation. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think that's the sort of the story of what, what happened. Yeah. I mean, a big theme of my, of my writing is that, you know, political economy just kind of explains everything. Uh, I, I do think like, yeah, well, once you get a flip to like this kind of Versace expert class, once that, once basically like the conversion between, you know, like going to the experts and basically you, you can, you can guarantee that you can go to the experts and get a, you know, quote unquote experts and get a, uh, like left wing dogma as a result, you know, you're you're just going to have it. Just becomes so much easier for people to just yeah. defer to I mean, it automatically. The that's, the, that's the kind of yeah. default debate re- resolution mechanism in any kind of you know like corporate dispute, right? Like, yeah, I mean, the average college graduate, the average master's uh, degree holder, the average PhD is just getting dumber and dumber uh, all the time, right? Um, and so, like, you know, that's uh, – so let me see if I can find a PhDs awarded by year in the United States. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so 2020. Yeah, it's, it's – in, I mean, it's increasing. Like, I'm just eyeballing a graph right here. In 1990, it looked like uh, 35,000. Um, in 2020, it's 55,000. I mean, maybe that's not that much. Maybe population growth is actually not as much as I would have uh, uh, thought. Although although if you look at um, uh, s and what are S&E fields? Science and engineering, I think. Uh, if you look at right. non-science and engineering, hmm, okay, this doesn't back up my priors at all. It says the non-science and engineering are flat um, in the number of doctor- doctorates awarded. So maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know anything. Uh, maybe the average PhD is not. <laughs> yeah, not I think I, I, I've seen this as well, that the majority of the growth is in science and engineering fields. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, well, okay, fine. Yeah, I guess that. I guess maybe the average... Uh, well, I, one thing might have happened, I guess. Um, yeah, or or there, there, you can argue, and I think that this might be true, actually, if you look at, I, I had an article a long time ago where I looked at the kind of um, IQ distribution by program, that there's a kind of, you know, there, there's a kind of marginal effect here, right, where, where the marginal student is kind of swapping from a humanities major to a kind of science major, but they're letting in more students who end up being, hmm. who end up replacing the lost humanities majors. Yeah. Um, Oh, another thing I think might have, well, maybe, but the other thing I think probably happened is like the the job prospects for being uh, in, in academia have gotten worse and worse, right? And so yeah, the, for pro- sure. and the economy has grown, even if the PhD, number of PhDs has not grown, the economy has grown, while the, like, the tenure track jobs has not grown. So you may be seeing a very adverse selection um, into uh, humanities uh, programs because anyone who can make money or anyone who doesn't want to be like a bureaucrat or anyone who can do, prob- you know, who knows a bit about probability and the chances of getting a tenure track job, you know, is probably less likely to go into these fields. Um, so, yeah, I think so- I think something happened. I, you know, I'd like to see the gender uh, makeup of PhDs and uh, master's students over time. Um, yeah, does that always explain everything? Yeah, it explains <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it does explain a lot. I mean, the thing about the affirmative action thing, why it's so important is like you manipulate like and you change the you change the personality of institutions, right? You bring in these people who are, you know, it's like it's like the the, the wokes are correct, like the universities are correct. And like it does change the campus environment, right? It's just in a very negative direction uh, for the kinds of affirmative action they want to uh, uh, they want to practice. Um, so, sure. it, you know, it has a, it has a big role to play. And I think we've, you know, we've seen that over time. Right. 
yeah, th- th- there's a kind of way in which like the woke are more correct in the, than the mainstream, and that you know, like, if, you, if you actually get declining standards of merit, then you will get you know you will get racial differences. Yeah. Um, another another figure in the in the Supreme Court that's kind of interesting is Gorsuch, right? Because he he's kind of like I, I feel like he always gives like the most right wing interpretation or like the least right wing interpretation, and there's no, there's just no in between, right? He's like a kind of autist. Yeah, I mean, he's a textualist, right? So he really takes the words of what's on the page seriously. And, um, you know, when when the Bostock decision came out, it was a very sort of autistic decision. It was like, oh, the word says, you know, you can't discriminate based on sex. You know, man wears a dress, then you fire Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, like, well, a lot of people were saying, I mean, to be, like, smart observers were saying, oh, he's, he's, this, this principle is going to, is going to be a wrecking ball to civil rights law. And I didn't know if that was true or not, if he was just like sort of, a, you know, going along to get along with the liberals. But, you know, this this decision seems to indicate that, yeah, I mean, that that's what's going to happen. So I'm very optimistic about where he's going to come down on other civil rights cases. Um, and he basically says, like, he's more extreme than the majority opinion in his concurrent. Yeah. Uh, he says there's no, uh, you know, it just it, it, there's no balancing test. It just says you can't discriminate based on race. That's, I don't need to know anything about diversity or like, you know, whether, you know, this uh, uh, compelling, you know, whether you have a compelling government interest in what, or whatever. It's just a law and I'm going to interpret it, you know, the way it's supposed to be interpreted. I think Thomas was the, Thomas might have signed, might have been the only one to sign on to that. Um but yeah, yeah to- Thomas really emphasized the colorblind nature yeah. of the law, right? He he kept saying that that phrase exactly. Yeah, exactly. And Thomas, yeah, exactly. I think he signed on. He signed on it, so he was a co-signer to the Gorsuch uh, opinion too. Um, so yeah, I think that that's like this is this is a very positive. You know, Gorsuch has some crazy. I mean, like uh, hey, he gave <laughs> away like half of Oklahoma or something to Native Americans based on some. You know, in that case, I don't know that well, but it was it, the result was pretty extreme. I actually don't even know if it's a if it was a, a good decision or not based on the law. Um, but yeah, he's willing to follow things to some liberal uh, some liberal conclusions. Um, but on civil rights, you know, I, I have a good confidence that he's like, he's on the side of angels, him, Alito, and Thomas. And the other three conservative justices, I don't have any reason to doubt. So Look, this Supreme Court is good on affirmative action. This Supreme Court is good on civil rights. My my arguments, the arguments that other people have been making, they've had this anti wokeness more generally. It has it has infected the right. It's doing great things. The you know the question, and it's just about conservatives winning, Republicans winning elections. It'll it'll the revolution will continue if there's a Republican president in twenty twenty four and a Republican Senate. Uh, we're going to see very good things happen on civil rights law. If there's not, then we won't see that, and that's just sort of the. Uh, Truth, I mean, we do have the six-three majority now, so like you know, knock on wood, as as long as they're all healthy, um, you'll get the good Supreme Court decisions. Um, the what happens to the lower courts will matter though, because they'll be interpreting the Supreme Court decisions, and so you can imagine, you know, future cases, um, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be hard. But you know, you do have some protection for, uh, uh, you know, I think for Amer- for Americans and their individual rights, not their not the fake rights, not the civil rights, but like actual rights of individuals and institutions. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think we're, I think, I think we won. I think me, I won, right? I, I won. <laughs> Richard Hanania's Richard Hanania won. This is a big W for Richard Hanania thought. And then all you need, yeah, all you need is, all you need is the election. So that's, that's the only thing you, if Republicans are in power, you're going to get good stuff on civil rights. I think we're there. Right. Uh, I do think on the subject of the lower court, actually not just the lower court, right? You you just look at Jackson, but like people like Aaron Sabarium have just kind of reported out a lot of these stories. Um, 
I, I'm not actually I'm not uh, against this, by the way, but uh, reporting out all these stories saying basically look at all these crazy left wing law school graduates who believe in these like a- absurd theories and they're getting, you know, clerkships and they're getting uh, internships and they're on their way to basically become judges. Like, isn't this going to be you know, terrible for society? Uh, do, do you think that do you think that's overrated or underrated? I think it is um, in the world of people who um, are reading uh, Aaron Sabarium and, you know, taking him seriously, well, we should take him seriously, but he's a great, he's, I like Aaron, he's a great reporter. Um, as long as people who are sort of internalizing this, I think it's probably, you know, underrated by the general public, which doesn't, you know, pay attention to this stuff at right, all. The, under, the general public does not rate anything, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think probably overrated by people who might be, um, listening to this, I think they're going to respond. I think like a lot of my entire framework of this is that civil rights law shaped this stuff that people respond to incentives. I was um, just talking to Steve Shu on his, uh, on his podcast and we were talking about, you know, I think there's a, you know, he's like, corp- he told me corporations, you know, like you talk to CEOs 20 years ago, they didn't believe in the diversity stuff. They knew they were just trying to avoid lawsuits or forever or whatever. But you talk to like a young CEO today and they actually do believe in that stuff. And I, I said, you know, Robert Trivers, you know, will explain to you why that is. I mean, people have a remarkable ability to believe and act in ways that are adaptive, right? Um, and so I do think that most people do shift with, uh, you know, they do shift with sort of the, when the incentive structure changes. So if you're like, you know, can I have the hearts of young lawyers today or can I have the Supreme Court? I would rather have the Supreme Court, right? And so it really does depend on sort of the elections and judges and sort of what the law is going to be going forward. Hmm. So, so I disagree with this and I'm going to put put out two models and I'm going to ask you, you know, like, do you think this is a fair, like, sort of dichotomy well one is the kind of trade-off theory that you know if you put restrictions on something uh that people will have to trade it off against other things and that you know for example harvard has to now you know if if it wants to racially discriminate then it's going to take more l's in terms of creating other goals in its student body Mm -hmm. right so 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 that's one theory which i think is partially true Mm -hmm. and the other is a kind of political constituency theory right that what this in effect does is that it creates it creates a de- it increases the demand for like diversity bureaucrats. It increases the, the demand for more people to do this kind of stuff, and that you know e- even though that they might have you know more restrictions on what each of those people can do specifically, that it's basically like an exogenous uh, exogenous shock. That it's basically creating you know you you had the environment before you had like some level of demand for um, all of these diversity bureaucrats, and and of course some of that is created by civil rights law. But in the case of Harvard, I think, you know, like uh, there there was nothing like mandating it to racially discriminate, right? There was a political constituency for it to racially discriminate. And now that political constituency is just is just simply more active, right? So so, so that's why I'm pessimistic on Harvard. So, so, So first of all, do you think there's anything that's like not really captured by these models? So, you know, the idea that they're just sort of there and they're going to engage in activity. I mean, one possibility is they just sit on their desks uh do nothing and stare at screens i mean that's you know that's also you know part of it so even if you do take their you know the number of them in the world are consistent they, you know they could they could potentially do more or less um you know you could imagine like you know they have the same number of uh, administrators and like they want to they still want to uh discriminate based on race but like they spend all their time like trying to figure out new contrivances to get around the supreme court decision and so like they don't have time to suppress free speech or something right like you can imagine just sure. you know, keeping them keeping them busy uh 
you know that you know that being said, I don't think that there's like a set number of these people in the universe. I think this is a much stronger argument in the private sector than universities, which you know where things can be uh, continue for uh, a very long time and costs can be passed on to the taxpayer or to the uh, or to the student. Um, you know, but even in those cases, there are like real budget. Cases. You mean the other way, right? It's much much more of an argument for for universities. Than, than for private sector. Uh, I mean, like... Because in universities, the, the costs can be passed on more easily. Exactly, yeah. That's what uh, yeah, that's what I meant. And even, like, okay. get beyond Harvard, you want to look at, like, you know, this is not... This is all part of a package. This isn't just the SFFA case in isolation. This is, like, you know, uh, like state legislators, like, going after the DEI bureaucracy, telling them there are things you cannot do, like, uh, you know, dissent is taking over new college uh in florida like increasing activity on like conservative nonprofits like C- uh stephen miller's american first organization uh which are going and trying to like sue uh institutions for practicing discrimination uh and so like the pressures are coming um and like you know you could maybe like some places you could have fewer of these bureaucrats other times you could just keep them busy and fearful and not as aggressive and not making them not feel like they have a free head. Maybe they just retired, like, again, just retired in their office, you know, play solitaire or look at Facebook or, or whatever. That would, you know, that would be a great, great outcome. Uh, so yeah, it's a political constituency. It's, it's real. Um, it's not, you know, it's not, there's not a set number of them that what they, you know, they're, you know, the, the level of their activity or their effectiveness is not um, set in stone either. Um, you could, you know, you could shape, you know, you could sort of shape the environment that they operate in. And so, yeah, I mean, you're happy this model of the world, but, it, you know, there's a lot going on outside of it. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're... Hmm. Wait, wait, so is the prediction here, is the prediction here that there will be less DEI actions uh, in the university? That you know, like the the that the the university, like the EI bureaucrats, will now be more busy, and so there'll be ne- less, you know, like new programs and stuff. I like don't that. know. I mean, I don't know how to measure that. I I will predict, and maybe I could be wrong on this. I think there will be a decrease in uh, the you know, the uh, blacks and Hispanics at top universities um, in the next few years. If that if that's wrong, um, I'll have to look into that, and I'll sort of have to revise. Uh, is there if there's less DEI activity? I don't know. It depends on the question. It depends on. Uh, what we're measuring yeah that's fair I, I think you actually presented me of ev- it presented evidence on this based on the uc system uh and what's where, where they, they said they still haven't recovered right they, they said you know that they, yeah. they still have much that's, more it's not just what they, they say like. say you could look at like the numbers at you know berkeley um at ucla uh law school the uh at university of michigan the um but the other uh the other thing i think is exciting and maybe i should have uh i should have talked about a bit of that piece too uh, was that, um, you know, it's different from one university or one university system than, uh, it's, that's different from like banning affirmative action across, you know, across the, across the board. I mean, you're going to have competition between universities, right? And like some of them might right. want to uh, lower their standards just to have no standards in order to um, attract as many, you know, blacks and Hispanics as possible. Like there's, if there's some states and some state university systems that don't want to do that, that want to be more faithful to the Supreme Court decision out of ideological conviction or out of a desire to climb the rankings or build the reputation or from pressure from like Republican state legislatures and governors who in the end uh, do run these red state universities, um, there's going to be, there's going to be a competition there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, th- th- there's reason to be even more optimistic um, than just the California. Well, California system is just sort of like a monopoly in of itself. It can do whatever it wants. Uh, but now you're sort of changing the entire, you know, university landscape. And it can be, you know, some interesting things can happen.
wait, sorry. So so the fact that it's a universal application, I, I, I would assume the opposite, right? If it's not universal, then there would be more of a kind of, you know, it, it, the, the, the natural experiment would be clearer. Well, the, it's not about the clarity of the uh, uh, experiment. Um, it's it's more it's more about like there could be there's actual competition now, right? Uh, sure, but wouldn't there be wouldn't there be competition? Any, I guess like okay, if you say like okay, so so if California is just like a smaller set of schools, then maybe they just all decide to be they they just all decide to do like basically affirmative action, but in disguise, right? Whereas if it's nationwide, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I mean, I think with California, I mean, I think you, you sort of you have a monopoly where they're all doing the exact. Oh, I guess you're right. You could have had competition within the California uh, system. I don't know how much uh, of that there is, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's like there's like much more. There's going to be much more variation now, um, and variation is just good for competition, right? Um, you had competition between California, maybe within California, within California, the rest of the world. But like, if every if everyone has sort of like, it's become a little bit slightly more iffy for everyone to practice affirmative action. Um, you know, there's just more opportunities for you know some schools to take advantage. Just more variation. I mean, I, I believe in the you know in the end that like you can't like universities cannot just you know there's a reason they didn't they there's a reason that they just didn't get rid of their standards before and go to a lottery system, right? There is, by lowering their academic standards, there is a cost in whatever reputation, uh, prestige. And now they're going to have to decide between taking that hit um, or keeping their diversity numbers up. And I think that's a good outcome. Right, right. But they were already on this trend before, right? Like, like that's the reason why I don't believe this is that like they had this cost before, and they were going in the direction of removing standardized tests, like they did this in 2020, 2021, 2022 already. And now you just created an exogenous shock that makes that makes it even more incentivized for them to do exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. They might be so crazy that they just will pick diversity over anything. Uh, I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah, and I think that's the base rate. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's not a terrible I mean I think that's not a terrible outcome. I think it, it would hurt the prestige and the power of universities. Maybe they were in the process of Okay, yeah, that's anyway. interesting. Uh but I, I do you yeah. know I do think that what happened with uh what's happened with school choice in recent years, like the coronavirus uh, pandemic really discredited the universities. I mean the school closures plus the critical race theory and LGBT stuff. Ohio I just saw did a universal school choice thing. I mean that's up we're up to like eight or nine states. This uh, universal school choice didn't exist as a policy a little over a year ago. This has all been in the last year and it's all been a backlash um, to the to the uh, to the you know the K through 12 what's been going on there in the last few years. Um, and so we're seeing a backlash to the university too. I think we can see serious you know, we're seeing like states doing some pretty crude things like, you know, crude is in like, you know, very, you know, not, not like, uh, but like, uh, uh, disgusting, but like, you know, just like, uh, you're very using, yeah, ham fisted, like, you know, brutal. yeah, exactly. You, you know, uh, like just banning DEI, uh, bureaucracies, you know, we'll see, you know, they'll, they'll try to get around it. So forth and so forth, you know, the, there's direct control in this case of state universities. The, the board of regents is appointed by, a, uh, you know, in some cases, a Republican governor, right. And the state legislature has the power of the purse. So this is much, much, much easier to control, um, than Harvard is. Uh, and so I think you could be very, you know, sort of optimistic about what's going to happen at the level of uh, state universities. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's there's cost to, uh, you know, them going crazy. I think some some 
schools might just you know be like they might just accept merit they might use a you could imagine just a few using the supreme court decision as an excuse uh to just you know be um uh, you know, to be to be colorblind, you really go all in on merit. I think at least some universities might do that. Not maybe not many, but I think those ones would probably rise in uh, status and probably would do well for themselves. Yeah, I mean, if you just take like the University of Waterloo uh, as a kind of natural experiment, right? That they're, they're in Canada, they don't have to do affirmative action, and they've they, they've just become a wildly successful like uh, tech school recently, right? Uh, so I guess there's like some reason to be hopeful there. There are like a few natural experiments of this happening. So like, let's say we did like, I don't know. Let's take it. Let's take UATX actually. UATX is this fascinating place because um, it's, it's like almost exactly 50, 50 split between like basically tech bros who don't even want to be at like MB <laughs> in university and like, or, you know, like people like Joe Lonsdale, uh, Mark Andreessen, um you know rumors about elon right or or like or like you know humanities phds right phds studying like plato and aristotle or something like that and uh so so, so like that that's a kind of natural experiment right like like you have i i think they're starting an undergraduate program more recently we can see we can see how how their like employment stats track right uh yeah i think that's right i think uatx is a uh you know, an interesting case. Yeah, we could see how their employment stats. You know, what's interesting? You could look at something now like Hillsdale, which refuses to comply right. with civil rights law, so doesn't even take uh, money from uh, uh, you know doesn't even take money from uh, um, the federal government for like student loan and student aid. Uh, I think Hillsdale graduates probably do well. I mean, there's a conservative network of people. Like, it's not like everyone in the world is looking. It's not like you know. Coca-Cola like Watts Hillsdale over Harvard or anything. Uh, but you know, I think there is a network of like conservative people who like think Hillsdale, you know, like they they're ideologically aligned with Hillsdale and there's probably networks. And I'm guessing I'm guessing they do well. I think you could look at like some of the more conservative Catholic schools are probably uh in this uh are in the same boat of like, you know, they do very well just because there's a network of like, you know, people who, who like people from that school. I think you could, I mean, you could see the university, you could see like state university uh, systems uh, evolve in this direction in very uh, conservative states. And that's going to have downstream effects, right? Like the younger people of those universities aren't going to necessarily all be brainwashed to be, you know, a bunch of crazy liberals. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's all, I think this decision is a good, I mean, I think this, I think what's like, it, the world is hard to predict. I mean, it's like, you know, nobody can tell you like exactly what's going to happen in the world and with universities. We know that they've thrown they've thrown some kind of wrench into the system. Like the Supreme Court has done that. Um, and I yeah, think- you'll, like if you take if you take like the Curtis Yarvin ideology of like stop stop trying to win, it just creates more losing. I think that that's like that's been dealt a kind of an L. This well, I don't uh, know what does that mean. Like, stop trying right? to win, it'll lead to losing. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't understand. What's the uh, What's the revolution? Monarchy is that the is that the alternative to trying to win? Yeah, apparently, or or like funding funding uh, the passage prize. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like the passage prize. I should say, yeah, funding arts. You know, yeah. but um, yes, you yeah. know, I also like the Supreme Court decision. Yeah, I yeah, I would. I, I would, like winning. Yeah, I would. Re- yeah, I would recommend if you want direct political change. I would recommend working on politics. Yeah, I think there's other things. You know, people can do other things too if people have an artistic bent or or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, politics is. I mean, look, like the odds of any, you know, the odds of any particular uh, 
cultural movement having a uh, the base rate of a cultural movement having a big effect on our politics is very small, right? That just that's just the nature of things. Yeah, I think I don't know. There's this kind of myth, um, or not exactly myth, because it has happened in the uh, because it has happened in the past. But like basically, this idea that you know you have a cultural um, shift, a really kind of intellectual shift, and that kind of translates into that kind of translates into the mainstream. You look at the Enlightenment, right? That's usually the example people point to. Maybe you look at you know the Great Awakening. You look at or or you look at like the Progressive Era, right? These are all eras where you know some kind of intellectual tra- uh, tradition, maybe not like directly caused an event but you know led to the event playing out the way it did right so so isn't there some argument for this that that there is some kind of influence uh that you just have to be ready for it that you should want to have the intellectual roots there if some some kind of massive change happens um yeah i don't believe our i mean I, maybe it depends on your sort of assumption about how uh unstable our system is so like maybe that would influence your uh, likelihood to invest in, uh, you know, just sort of being sitting there and being ready uh, for some ma- you know, major discontinuity. Um, I, I don't think our system is, you know, uh, unstable. I think it's very stable, actually. I've written uh, about this before. Um, yeah, I mean, look, people should, if you can create like a movement of like idealistic, smart people who are focused on a goal, like that's good to do regardless, right? Um, you know, I I, sure. I don't do that because like there's few too few people in the world who you know see the world the the way I do, and so I just sort of try to influence movements where I'm like sort of adjacent to, uh, to try to you know be better or to be more effective. Um, but yeah, there's you know always a you know there's you know to, to like. It's just the 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 you know the expected you know the expected return on that is is I just think small. I just think it's small. Yeah, the, the, there's not a huge demand for. I think you put it as like culture of death, right wingism. <laughs> I don't know if I said that, but yeah, I mean, it's not it's not culture of death would be sort of a a, a caricature, but like you know, a sort of you know, and, and you could call it Nietzsche. You could call it Nietzsche, and you know, the, I realized like over the years that like a, the right wingers are in many ways more egalitarian than the left, and so that's like sort of that alienates. Me. Wait, that that seems very spicy. How so? Well, I mean, you look at the arguments against uh, euthanasia. I mean, you look at that argument that within the new uh, the new app uh, Atlantis, the new Atlant- that- which which is funny because the new Atlantis has published some good ML takes, but. Uh, yeah i mean it's the whole thing is like if you're poor you can't make choices for yourself there's no such thing as uh choice people are going to manipulate you oh canada is this eugenic country that's just going to go around like (laughs) getting rid of like the like what can what what planet are you on right that you think that like canada is just going to go calling like trudeau is like secretly reading like a poria magazine or something so stupid yeah just (laughs) Uh, and so you see that you see this with the um you see it with the, you know, with the, a lot of the, the pro-life stuff too, but I, I thought the main stuff in particular, you see a lot of it with the stuff of like, oh, we're the real like egalitarians because we care about like poor Appalachians uh, when you people, you know, just only care about, uh, I don't know, whatever, like, you know, rich people. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like sort of like fake and almost bad faith, but there is like a sense of like, uh, there is like, they're, they're trying to, you know, there is a way that like the right is trying to sort of, um, uh, 
uh, sort of make like poor white people into their own victim identity group that they can champion. This is different, you know, aspects of the of the right. I think the the the, the right that's I don't think this is like in Paul Ryanism. I don't think Paul Ryanism had this. I think Paul yeah, Ryan, yeah. Like, Paul Ryan is like the true Nietzschean. Like I, I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna write that article um, soon. It's like, like, <laughs> like it's not the dissident. Right? I mean, like Rand, right? Rand specifically, I think quote like quotes Nietzsche. Like she's, yeah, yeah. She's very into yeah. Right, and so it's like it's funny. It's it's funny. It's like these people are who like I, I, you know these like sort of dissident right types who like are like claimed to be like social darwinists and like are uh, you know anti-egalitarian are in many ways way more egalitarian uh than the right wingers that they're you know trying to push aside while sort of like the you know the old right wing is sort of like more and you know they have the the, the, the part of the uh, the new right critique that i'm sympathetic with is like you know like they were you know they were uh uh you know, the, a lot of the conservatives of a previous generation were asleep at the wheel. They really needed to go hard at the universities and the education system and really needed to go after, like, you know, civil rights law, which they don't talk about, but that, you know, I brought up myself, which is a criticism within the same vein. I mean, all that stuff is true. Uh, but there's also, like, a part of this that, you know, tries to rely on, like, this populist energy that is, like, sort of attacks the left from the from the left if, um, like, if your access is, like, egalitarian or, or non-egalitarian, right? Right. Yeah. I, I don't think the dissident right is really into, or, or like, I don't know, like dissident right and you right, it kind of gets kind of blurry, but I think like the dissident right is like not the Catholics. It's like, it's like the Curtis Yarvin people. But right? a lot of it's these like people, the, so if you read, like uh, so if, Bronze Age Pervert is a good representative of the dissident. Not yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he's not, he, okay. he's not like the women's well, tears people, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, even then, like you do see like he, his, he says like immigrant, like stopping immigration is like the most important thing. And when you get into like the anti-immigration, right. Um, it's not like all like, you know, it's like, there's like some of them just dislike, you know, are against the, you know, they think like whatever immigrants have low IQs or whatever. A lot of them are like crying over, you know, people who can't compete, you know, with, with immigrant labor. Right. A lot of it is like, like the immigration restriction is it does have like a lot of like egalitarian energy uh behind it uh, you know are there real yeah yeah like have you have you ever heard uh eric weinstein talk about this yeah i mean eric weinstein is not yeah not a dissident right figure or anything yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, is, but... it is the same it is sort of the same way i mean you, if you go um yeah if you look yeah so uh, the, you know this is this is there you know people tell me there's a Nietzschean right i'm, I'm sort of still looking for it hmm yeah, like, like, is it just like traditional libertarianism? Right, this is what you were saying before, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that, like, you know, I think that, like, the traditional libertarianism is, like, you know, it does have answers, right? Like, the libertarianism or Reaganism, like, just, like, turning it up a little bit on, like, the cultural pressure, the pressure on institutions. Um, it does have answers to a lot of things that people don't like. I mean, the, uh, you know, Rufo says this in uh, his forthcoming book. Rufo is one of those guys who uh, fights these cultural battles, but is not trying to remake the right. You know, he's still considered, he's still part of the, you know, American conservative tradition. Uh, he says the entire sort of communists who've taken over the universities, it's, they're all doing it on, they're not doing it on private money. They're doing it on state funds. I mean, they're doing the university system is, uh, you know, is, you know, does, does exist as a result of the taxpayer and who they're deciding to give uh, people, uh, who they're deciding to give money to. Um, so, yeah, I think there are a lot of answers to these and the, a lot of the things like people, you know, I think it's just politically easier to do the egalitarian thing. It also almost slips into it like, oh, I'm going to do populist, I'm going to flatter. You know, maybe this is good, you know, in some cases, at least in some states and in some contexts, that's probably good, you um, 
uh, politics uh, because that stuff could be popular. It's just, you know, tends not to be my favorite thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I think I've heard, yeah, there, there's this like fascinating speech by Sorob Sharma at, uh, at the last NatCon in Miami where he just says like, yeah, it's a lot more politically politically convenient to do like industrial policy. Like if you just look at why the left wins, it's because it creates political constituencies. It creates like constituencies, constituencies of people who are loyal to them through industrial policy. And like, we should just do the same thing. Interesting. Like that's, that's almost verbatim what he says. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, that's, that's the, that's the skill man case for industrial policy. I never heard that argument before. It would be sort of more of a, um, a respectable argument than, than the surface arguments I've heard uh, for industrial policy. I think you could do this with like parents. Like I think, you know, I think like cop unions, like I, you know, I, there's always problems with public sector unions, but like, wow, like, like considering like how much like our urban areas hate police and like hate law enforcement, like the fact that they exist and are standing up for the police is probably uh, a good thing. I think like the school choice thing with parents, just making parents like giving them cash directly and letting them do stuff with it. I think that's like a positive development. I think you build a right sting constituency that way. You'll never be, you'll never be the left though. I mean, their entire, uh, their entire existence is, you know, government and, and patronage and, you know, believing the state should be doing stuff like, I don't know, like, yeah, and now, now that I think about it, like, it emerged organically, right? Like, people funded public schools because they thought they were a good thing. Then they were captured by unions. People thought labor unions were a good thing. It's not like they set out, you know, to say, we're going to create this constituency. So if you're going to do, like, industrial policy, like, we're going to make these labor unions and they're all going to be, like, you know, uh, you know, right-wing sort of uh, street mobs that or whatever. Like, it's never it's never really worked out like that. You have to start with, like, the premise of, like, it grows organically from, like, something that, like, has broad appeal to something that's captured, right? It seems to me that, like, that's an interesting idea, but, it, it, you know, it's too much top-down planning that hasn't really, that's never been, like, you know, the model of, like, successful movements. Sure, yeah. But, but like, yeah, I think there are examples of this happening in the past, uh, on the right, Mo- mostly with religion, actually, mostly with religious groups. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. I, I do think there is a kind of like natural version of this um, that happens. The, the, the question is like, is there any, you know, are there any levers we can pull, right? Even if this is some kind of emergent thing, is, is there some kind of lever we can pull to uh, make, make this easier for the right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just told you, just uh, civil rights law. School yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so like micro level about. stuff, right? Yeah, um, no macro level, right? I, I do. Well, there, I, I, mean, I do think that's mostly. Like, I mean, there are like tons of ideas. I mean, JD Vance. One of the interesting things he said um, was like to really go after the um, uh, the uh, nonprofit sector. So like, there's you know, you have yeah, the nonprofit, yeah. and these have like just the Ford Foundation. These stuff just have tons and tons of money, all tax free. You know, it's one of those. I'd like to focus on things depending on how realistic it is. I mean, this would require a uh, legislative change. I like things that are like court decisions or executive orders because they're you know, I'm so hard to get legislation these days. But yeah, something like that. I think thinking outside the box. Like I, I do appreciate that. I think there could be something there. Sure. Can't you do it through reconciliation because it's a fundraising thing? Uh, I'm not enough of a congressional expert to to tell you that. Okay. So, so like one other story of conservatives building this kind of constituency is like uh, f- the federal society, right? It's not quite the, the federalist society, sorry. Uh, it's it's not quite a kind of, you know, voting constituency, but it, you know, we just look at affirmative action, they've won, right? It's, it's very impressive. 
So, so do you think there are any success stories we can learn from that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Federalist Society, I think, you know, I, and I've recommended this book, uh, you know, elsewhere and all the time, Steve Tellis's, um the, the Rise of the Conservative Legal Movement uh, is very good. And what they, they, you know, this was sort of like what you're talking about, sort of like what the Yarvid, what you said the Yarvid idea was, like build an intellectual movement first. Uh, it was basically, you know, the Federalist Society, to a large extent, came out of law and economics. And law and economics was just like a bunch of economists, right. like colonizing the, the legal field. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this was like, it, this was smart, and it appealed to people intellectually, not all, you know, conservatives, but it was like, an, it was like, it, it was the, the political, you know, the, like the, you know, the, the sort of the, uh, the priors of the orientation of the movement, like was congenial to conservatives, because it was just like, look, let's subject uh, what people want to do in government to cost benefit analysis before it was just like assume whatever government does is good and they just said let's like do cost benefit analysis and see what we come up with and that was radical that was like you know that was uh, uh that was congenial to the right because like nobody was doing cost benefit analysis before and government was just doing things based on um what sounded good uh and so yeah i think there's i think there's a, a lesson there i think that like there's a lesson that like you know i think the pro-life movement then i'm not biggest fan of them but like you know they're not online. I mean, they're online, obviously. They're like, pretty. They they have online delegates. Of course, you know. Of course, but like the, yeah. Twitter does yeah. not become like affirmative action goes viral. Like uh, you know, wokeness, diversity, gender theory, like trans stuff. All that stuff goes like you know becomes trending on Twitter. Uh, you know, I don't see like the abortion controversies being near anywhere near that level. Right. Yeah, or it trends on Twitter for the left. I don't know if it does on the right. Yeah, I would, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's but but the right has succeeded politically, right? There, you know, so the pro life movement is not yeah. so it's not so much uh is you know it's not as online as these other movements. The gun people too. I mean, these movements are remarkably successful, and they just they attracted people who like wanted to just organize around that uh, the issue. Uh, they almost like they won public opinion by like not caring about public opinion. They just did the policy. Well, I mean, the well, pro-life didn't win public opinion. Pro-life is in the worst position than ever. The gun people have, uh, you know, have done are are basically, you know, have higher approval. But they say than they did in the past. Than they did in the past. Um, but these but these groups did sort of just like win. Either they brought public opinion along with them, or they lost public opinion and won in spite of public opinion because you know politics is polarized. And like you know, half the time these guys win, half the time the other guys win. Actually, like you know increasing the marginal chances of your chance of your side winning by like two percent is not as important as like having one side of a political spectrum do everything uh do everything you want right and so that was sort of the lesson right they they didn't worry about like it was going to isolate other people it was just like look very few things are going to be determinative in any particular election so when we do get to power we should you know we should use it um and i think that's i think that's sort of the um uh those are the models for the right you know i think like why I push back against like Europeanism, I, you know, I don't maybe don't want to blame Curtis personally for this, but the way I hear people like talk about politics is like liberals have just some magic. You're right. Like, there's just some magic power that like liberals have. And it's like, you know, conservatives will either lose or they will like, um, you know, install a monarchy or like, um, you know, have a Caesar or like, you know, something like that. And until we do that, like nothing good is ever going to happen. And I just really, really want to get people sort of out of that thinking. Right. Let's let's seal man that, though, because I do think that, that there's an interpretation of it where it's kind of obviously true that like liberals have the unifying, you know, you can call it power or you can call it like desire of like envy. 
right? Of like basically, you know, like Brian Kaplan says, like left left wingers, liberals hate markets, conservative or like what was it? Left wingers hate markets, right wingers hate left uh, left wingers, uh-huh. right? Like, yeah, like I, I do think that is the the fundamental power you know, if you want to call it that of the left is that they can all agree, you know, that they hate whoever is succeeding in the public market at any given point in time. I don't think that that's, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, like, I don't think that's what Matthew Iglesias is like motivates him. I don't think that's what motivates Obama. Like, I don't think that's what like motivates Biden. Like a lot of them are just transactional uh, politicians Mm. who just think, who just like have an idea that like people should do good things. And it's like, you could be nice to minorities and nice to poor people like left. I mean, like if you want to exclude like Bill Clinton and like Barack Obama and like Hillary Clinton, like Joe Biden, like everyone who's actually like been a leader in the left and say like the left is just like, uh, uh, you know, Sarah Rao and like these people that you see online, like, yeah, you can come up with theories. Um, but I don't think that that's I, I you know I think you, that, you don't think Biden and, and Obama I, I don't know about Bill Clinton I think yeah like like Bill Clinton is actually a good ex- encounter example he did good things with the budget but like I, I think like you, you know like what did Obama do he did Obamacare like I I I, I think that they're fundamentally egalitarian people like that that's how they see the world oh, no they are egalitarian they are egalitarian uh they are egalitarian people but do they does Obama hate markets i don't think obama hates markets i think obama like distrusts them and thinks they need to be regulated um and same with biden uh you know but i think that like i think his their sure, ideal but, but they rate. still you know they still line up on the same shelling point like sure sure like not everyone is saying you know like bernie sanders you know like like uh tax the rich you know like not everyone is doing that the the political economy just isn't there for that sure but like you know, I, I do think a lot of this is just vibes. And I think, like, the vibes are important. The vibes are how, like, like going back to what we said about Trump, the, the, the vibes are how they, like, cooperate. Or how yeah. people on both sides cooperate. I mean, the left also, like, this is the sort of, the, like, the Nietzschean thing that I was getting at. There is also, like, they, the right does accuse the left, and there's partly of this true, of just, like, really looking down on, like, um, you know, regular Americans. And that's sort of in contradiction to the idea mm. that they hate anyone who's successful. Like, if they if they see, like, a Harvard professor of, um, uh, you know, political science versus, like, uh, you know, a fat janitor with, like, a, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to pick out janitors, whatever, uh, you know, whatever, uh, some fat, lower-status person uh, who waves a Confederate They, they really hate truckers, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if they hate. Yeah, maybe they hate truckers. There, I don't know. They, but like they do. Have, like there is. Like there is a sense of like looking down on some people for being stupid. And like this is like sort of like from the right wing perspective, is sort of like a healthy instinct. I think a lot of the left like dislikes the right sometimes for bad reasons, but some of the reasons they dislike the right for, I think, are very understandable uh, to me and like sympathetic. So I, I don't. This is so. This is so flattening. Like they hate markets. Or they, you know, some people you'll hear like they hate white people or they hate success. Uh, I think that yes, you could you could find that. Um, you could find other things too, um, and it's a mix. And you know, we gotta sort of make our way in that world, right? The, yeah, the, the kind of like you know, dis or in, disinformation people like the, that. That seems to be something new. That's something interesting. It's also tied to like the the, the never Trump people, right? So that's. Yeah, I agree. That's a pretty good counterpoint. The the kind of like looking down on like uneducated, unwashed masses. Hmm. Yeah, there's always been a kind of tendency uh, in that though, right? It's it's weird. Um, 
like if you look at like um emma goldman right this kind of like socialist anarchist um she she has the she has this quote that gets quoted uh a lot about like what was it something about like the something about like how bad masses were right um i i can't remember off the top of my head right now you know i'm not i'm not an anarchist but um yeah i i do think you're you're right you're right i should kind of reevaluate this there there does seem like like we were talking about how how like a lot of these political constituencies are still are are just emergent i i do think that's where the case is stronger though right like if you just toss a random special interest group onto the board is it more likely to be democrat or republican it's much more likely to be democrat um so so that's i mean if you yeah maybe maybe the explanation for that isn't so if you exclude businesses and churches i mean there's a yeah, even businesses. Yeah, you're. You're. I mean, you're right that li- you know liberalism. Liberalism. You know what? Maybe that. Maybe this is a way. Liberalism. I think liberalism's biggest natural advantage is, and I think right wingers don't want to uh, admit this, is that like a lot. Most people agree with liberalism. Like most people like want to tax the oh, rich and don't and don't agree with markets. And so, like when people organize politically, they're usually to be on the left and so and it's also human nature to give into women's tears and to give into groups that are uh crying a lot so it's 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 this thing where like the left is with human nature on economics um they're they're but they also have this wing that sort of it's you know it it submits to these uh activists who are wildly you know against human nature like they're the race activists and the feminists and the trans people and all this which sort of which is the reason they don't win completely right which is the reason that the right has a Mm. chance because the right absorbs the backlash to immigration to trans to feminism uh to affirmative action uh to all that things to all these things um but you know the giving into like the powerful activists actually helps them too because the woke you know they're not popular uh but they are uh they inspire a lot of you know narrow in, uh, focus interest groups and uh individual you know aggressive individuals and then that with the economic advantage of like most people like socialism that's where the advantage left is so the right is always sort of you know it's, it's always sort of pushing uphill yeah this this is a this is a bitter pill to swallow for sure but i think it i think you might be right like like i've been thinking about this a lot like how you know yeah, people talk about like the left being in denial of human nature. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do think like maybe not in denial, right? Like like right wing intellectuals will just say like they'll, they'll be very clear, you know, like the masses that the masses are kind of for socialism and are kind of for redistribution. Like like they don't like they they don't pretend it's not happening, but like they, they oppose it, right? Or they, so, or they so, think so, it's yeah, just because be they right. got brainwashed by like the universities or the schools or something. They don't understand like people are just dumb and dislike markets for that reason. Sure. But like, yeah, there's like this libertarian reading of Strauss that's like this, right? Like, like if you just apply Strauss to economics, um, this is exactly, you know, this is almost like the very straightforward interpretation of what you get. Um, Yeah, I I think like, yeah, or or you look at like Peter Thiel, right? Like freedom and democracy are incompatible. Uh, I I think there's more acceptance of it on the right than there is on the left. Yeah, Peter was like it was a very rare thing to say democracy and capitalism are uh, you know are not reconcilable. I mean, most like the democracy party. and freedom. I think he said yeah. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, which, whichever. Uh, you know, with the Tea Party, like, for example, like, I mean, that's not most people who believe in capitalism. The Tea Party, like, tried to reconcile those things and wanted to be populist and libertarian, right? I mean, conservatives, you know, have been trying to do that thing uh, for a while. It, you know, it devolves into, it often devolves into, it can, it can work. It can work indefinitely. I mean, just to, like, you can, you can just have, like, a voters who are just anti the left and they cannot pay attention to policy. Um, and you can, you know, you can have a, uh, uh, economically, uh, you know, an economically more libertarian uh, party. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's like, you know, conservatives are also like, you know, they're, they're, they also are like in denial about like the social liberalism of people, like the abortion thing, I think hit them hard. Like the fact that like, oh, people like, I don't care about your photos of like uh, aborted fetuses. They just don't, they just, they don't want the government, you know, interfering in their pregnancy decisions. They don't want you telling them like they can't get a prenatal test and then decide what to do on that basis. Um, you know, you look at things like, you know, immigration, like people like will leave like traditional cultures, they will go somewhere where like their kids will speak a different language and have a completely different value system because they want money. I mean, they want to be able to earn a living and earn as much uh, money as possible. Um, And so you do have like these, you know, I I do think that sort of like the neoliberalism, like the idea that we should just like be trying to maximize wealth. It's like against human nature because most people are like not smart enough to understand markets are what improve people's welfare, but it's like, it's pro-human nature and that it understands what people want um, is to get wealthy. And like the technocrats are the ones, uh, the free market technocrats are the ones who understand how to do that. Uh, Right. So like you have these, you have these weird things of like who understands human nature and who's comfortable with and who not, who's not like there's a, you know, there's different layers to this thing. Yeah. I do think hmm, on on the social liberalism point. hmm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't think I disagree with you on the polling on abortion. I just think it's like, I, I think like it's, it's just so detached from the actual thing. Like, I don't know. Uh, so, so like Brian Kaplan, uh, I asked him a very similar question. He said like, basically like libertarians should just campaign on the abstract idea of freedom, right? Sure. That's where libertarianism is most popular. Like I think his, his, his exact quote is something like, you know, people just love love freedom. They don't like hearing about what other people will do with freedom. But you should just say like freedom, that's freedom. The, the you know, like that, I, mean, I think you... I think they already have that advice. Yeah, that, that's that's true. Like you just look at yeah, you just look at what the Tea Party is up to at any given day. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what they're. I think that's what they're up to. Um, yeah, I love this term. You invented it, or I invented. It, I don't know, but it's effective republicanism. I just really love that. Yeah, and effective McCon- conservative. Yeah, yeah, McConnell is the effective conservative. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's all, it's all, it's all Mitch. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know though. Like, right. So, so I think we were. Did we have this argument the last time we were here? Of like, or or I think we had this argument on like Twitter of like which party is the kind of like effective, like the the more like effective conservative or effective liberal party. I think like I I said like the the Republicans are the more like effective, you know, effective blank party because they're just like very susceptible to money, right? They're, they're just very susceptible to like someone coming in and saying like, this is a good idea and we should do it. Uh, what do you mean? You mean the conversation was who is more, who you're more likely to influence if you're just a, uh, sure. Yeah, like? sure. Yeah, sure. Or, or like which party, which party is a kind of like better like place to try to accomplish something. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish, but I think like oh, if you're saying uh, sure, yeah, uh, 
um, openness to outsiders, like unquestionably, like, you know, the kind of quacks like during the COVID thing, the kind of quacks that got like promoted to conservative media and like and on Twitter. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, these guys like Fauci that liberals worship. I mean, they're at least, you know, uh, you know, maybe not at least, I mean, but they're, you know, one characteristic they have is that they're like scientists with like long uh, record of publications who've like risen to the top of their field. I mean, the conservatives, there was this one woman who was just like this Nigerian doctor who like believed in like exorcisms and stuff and like was like someone like so the conservatives were treating her as like an expert on, on COVID. I mean, it was really, uh, it was really incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think this is just a demonstration that if you just like are out there, um, you know, unless you're like, I don't know, Louis Farrakhan or something and you have some like, you know, <laughs> some like anti-white theory or something like that, the left would probably be a better place for that just because of the ideology. But just in general, who's friendlier to outsiders and people who can make a difference? I think conservatives certainly are. Yeah, I think there's like, right, this is something that I argue with the EAs about all, all of the time. They're like, oh, we should, you know, we should donate to Democrats. I'm like, no, no, like, like, so all, all of your money, you, you know the idea of like the the Tulloch rectangle. The what now? Okay, so so like this uh, this political economist, he he basically says uh, he's like this this academic economist. He basically yeah. says, you know, like not only when you have basically uh, the the classic example is of like a of like a tax right or a price control. If you have a price control, there's like the, the this like triangle. It's, it's very well known of of like lost uh, of deadweight loss. That's like the the Harburger triangle. Right. And if you have the uh, if you have actually um, this being set through a democratic process where like people are going and they're lobbying for this um, and they're lobbying for this kind of like price uh, price fixing and whatever government control over their industry, then not only do you get a kind of deadweight loss in terms of the triangle, but you actually get deadweight loss in terms of the expected profits of the company. Like, like that's also burned up because it's all burned up in like lobbying. It's all burned mm. up in kind of like this intra constituency constituency fighting. That's like my best understanding of like donating to the Democratic Party. Like that, that's that's my best understanding of like what happens when like SBF dem- donates to like all of these election funds, right? Is that basically it just gets eaten up by political economy and it gets eaten up by kind of special interests? And I just don't see like like you can say like the the, the Republican Party. You know, you can say that the Republican Party is kind of like susceptible to um, basically like fever, fever dreams or like, you know, all these grifters and stuff like that. But I think that in terms of like elasticity, the elasticity is not zero. If if you try to if you're like Peter Thiel and you try to try to change something about conservatism, you can change something about conservatism. Where like you look at Reed Hoffman, right? Like how much, how much do you spend to like desperately yeah, that's get a good like, these, that's these a good like, Democratic contrast. senators? Yeah, uh, elected. That's Sorry, a good contrast. On. Yeah, Peter Thiel's imprint on conservatism versus Reed Hoffman's. I don't know if they've spent equal. I don't know if they've spent comparable amounts of money, but they both spent uh, a lot of money. But whatever, Thiel's imprint is much much larger. Yeah, I mean the conservatives are not the party of intellectuals. They're the party of like you know. Uh, like I don't know, like the uh, you know the local restaurant owner, or the, you know, the, there's a big one on uh, car, car dealership owners. Have you seen the Slate article on car dealership owners? I've been I've been sharing with everyone. The Slate article. Yes, uh, I, I'm not sure. I saw. I remember there was this like New York Times article on this on this pretty well known paper that like car dealership owners. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have the, to read the mean, that. In the the mean media. You have, you have to read that in tandem with the uh, Slate article about like exactly what they they're complete parasites. They're basically they just they they only get rich because they. Uh, 
uh, they uh, they um, they block uh, dealers from selling directly to consumers, and but they're all Republican, and they're like very culturally like strongly Republican, and they're sort of confused huh. by like Elon Musk, the fact that he's right wing, but like they hate EVs because like you know EVs have a carve out exception, and so they're like you know they they consider them as like an evil evil thing. So it's like this Slate article, this guy went to their convention, and it was actually you know quite quite fascinating. Um, why was I why was I talking about uh, car dealers? What were we, what were we, we were talking about we were talking about the elasticity of like money yes exactly so yes the car you're gonna influence the car dealers uh, uh, what they think about global warming much easier than you're gonna influence the professors right um like the hmm. you know the car dealers or like the local restaurant owner or like the small businessman or the farmer you know is not an is not an intellectual uh right um you could win over intellectuals for certain things but they're sort of more you know they're more unpredictable they're sort of more set in their uh ways um you know, they, you know, you, you have to sort of build on like previous things they already believe. Um, there's a more coherence to their worldview. While like a lot of the conservative base is just like they're watching TV and they're being entertained and they can be taken in any direction uh, you want. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's a guy who noticed this. Um, what's that guy? Cold button issues or something? What's that? What's that guy? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. Cold button issues. Like the EA guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah, he wrote this go, uh, he says, go Republican young EA, I think is the name of his uh, article. He makes this point exactly. And it is a, it is a good point. The Republicans are more, uh, you know, more, uh, more easy, easily influenced. I mean, like, his version of it that you should basically like just, just work for Republicans. I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, maybe, maybe if you're like already, if you're already conservative or libertarian, right? Um, th- then it's fine. But if you're like, if you're like a left wing person, I think they'll they'll definitely know. You, you know, like you won't have a good time. Um, it depends on what you care. I mean, I don't know. It depends on what you care about. I think if you're like, yeah, you won't have a good. I mean, you can't just join a party that you're not gonna have a good time if you just join a party where you dislike everything they do. Um, and everything they care about. But let's say you were indifferent than like the economic policies of conservative liberals. Let's say you cared about animal rights, which isn't very salient. But, you know, liberals are more in favor of it, right? Like California, like, you know, passes some law uh, that says, you know, chickens and pigs have to be treated more humanely while like conservative states tend to fight this stuff. I mean, so that is, that tends to... Right. Isn't that just because they have more farmers and they would maybe, just Maybe, I mean, maybe, but no, I think, no, I think liberals are more, I think liberals are more naturally oriented to be vegetarians and vegans. I don't think it's just, like you, you excluded farmers sure, from the conservative sure. coalition. They wouldn't be like, yeah, as vegetarian as liberals are, as concerned with animal rights. Uh, so I do think, I do think there's something, you know, there. And like, if so if you're like, if you're like, if you care about that as your main issue and you are an EA and you are indifferent on like abortion and like taxes and stuff uh yeah probably you could have more influence on republicans i would guess um like in congress you could probably like win them over like if you just said like oh i'm you know pro-life and like uh anti-woke and oh yeah by the way like my number one issue is uh uh you know uh making sure um you know uh pigs you know could move around (laughs) that person i think could probably be effective and like try to make that stuff go viral on like right wing twitter i think that would be more return you could just or you could just be another animal rights activist on the left and you know there could be a there could be a you know if you want to just influence like state legislatures maybe like you know the legislatures of like california are like easier to influence while the people in like nebraska they're not going to listen to you no matter what Right. So if you're working on like influencing legislatures, like the people who, you know, repre- actually represent farmers, you're not going to have an influence on those people. But like, let's say you want to influence like public opinion or like Congress, right, or senators or something respect, uh, representing a broad constituency. I can see the argument that like, you know, cons- uh, being a Republican is like the most effective thing you can do.
Yeah, I think there's a version of this argument that's like, yeah, I think on average this is right. I think that's certainly true if you're a donor, right? Like if you're if you're Peter Thiel, if you're David Sachs, or if you're, um, yeah, I can't I can't really think of another donor. Like like that's I don't know. Like or if you're like or if you're like the Cokes, right? That's uh, you you can you can get up to a lot if you're like if you're like a normal if you're like a you know like high IQ college graduate. Is that true? Is it true that you can get more done in the Republican Party, even if you're not naturally conservative? Um, hmm. Yeah, pro- probably. I, I I don't know. I actually don't know a lot about this. Yeah, I think people, I think EAs, if you have a lot of EA listeners, I think they should. Like, yeah, I think they should focus yeah. their attention on low salience issues where they can have an influence and yeah i think they should like have a good just mental model of sort of the landscape of our politics and like what people care yeah, about. yeah I, I just think they don't though like they're they just completely well, okay, unexposed we're to trying political to, we're trying to, like, all of them just need to take like political economy classes yeah well we're trying to correct that right i think they'll listen to us and, like, yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> all of you all of you eas listening you know you should uh you you should read your tulloch yeah. um yeah i i, I do think I do think it's the case that like um I don't know it, it it's kind of on, on one hand it's kind of obvious why this is the case you know like the kind of demographics is destiny thing but it is really shocking to me how just like little EAs know about the actual political process you know like like you'll have EAs going up to me and saying like oh, the main thing we need to do to, like, prevent AI risk or, like, do AI governance is to, like, pass legislation. It's like, n- no, you're, you're just completely wrong. You could not be more wrong, you know? Like, you're maximally wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that true? That the, you, you should, the yeah, yeah. It, it's all going to be about... The, the regulatory fight is all going to be about executive agencies. No, it's true. But I don't yeah. know. Like, maybe if you're Rishi, then you can pass legislation. But like in the U.S., it's going to be, you know, it's going to be um, it's going to be defense. It's going to be um, the FTC. It's going legislation to be legislation. Uh, um, you know, it's a there are there's going to be things put in legislation that is going to have an Im- impact. Um, that's true. This is like the Matt Iglesias, like secret Congress. Yeah. Thing, right? And so I would not, you know, it's not like there's going to be the AI bill of 2013 that like everyone signs and like everyone is like, just going to set the whole system. That's probably unlikely, but there, I, th- I think there will be riders to bills and stuff. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, the genetic engineering stuff is like one thing I haven't looked at. I don't know about AI policy. Oh. I looked into that and like, you know, there's a re there's a writer in the NHS, which says like, you know, you can't, um, you can't make uh, germline edits, I think it is, or something like that. And there was talk of getting rid of it last time Democrats were in control of Congress and the Republicans were opposed. And they ended up not doing that. They ended up not getting rid of it. They keep it. But it's like every year, like when they fund NHS or, or NIH, I'm sorry, NIH or like one, you know, one, of, these, one of these agencies, uh, you know, they have this, uh, they have this in there. Um, and so stuff like that mm-hmm. is like tends to have a big influence. So, you know, people, people should and uh can care about that uh, you know i'm gonna write another book once this book comes out at some point maybe i'll write like what effective ultra like uh, a congressional agenda for like 
this is like it'll be maybe the opposite of this book this book is just like the most inflammatory thing and like how to just like win a political battle against your enemies to like bring victory to one side of the culture war and maybe the next one will be like oh how to how to like not get attention and just do quiet nice tech technocratic things that can <laughs> that can people either won't notice or everyone will agree on I don't yeah know. The, the weirdest tr- trilogy the weirdest trilogy ever. <laughs> we'll, we'll, right. we'll add a third book about like i don't know space colonization or something yeah well i have a, I, that would be my third book because i have one on like foreign policy being fake oh right 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 this one on destroying book and the third one on like yeah, technocratic that would be fun i don't know that that would be it would be a it would be I would, that would be courageous on my end because it would be like the thing that's like you know biggest like downside of like perhaps not getting that much attention while like there's other ideas I have. That could yeah, be no, you can about. probably get Open Phil to fund you. Like, like if if you're writing a book that's like political economy, well, if I'm not, or if I'm not, if I'm not too controversial for them at this point, right? Hmm. Maybe you you should yeah, write well, it. You should open write Phil it. specifically. Open Phil. Wait, am I? I'm probably like less famous than you. I don't know if I'm less controversial no, than you. Like I've had Curtis on this show three times. Nah, nobody cares. I, people are just gonna Google and yeah, look look into it. Yeah, I, maybe if somebody else, I'll have somebody else like get the grant and then they can co-author with me or something. <laughs> yeah, I think open philanthropy. I've attacked them openly for being like stupid on like some sexual harassment thing. Um, not that. Not, oh, did they do a statement on on that? Yeah, I that's... think it was open philanthropy. Yeah, I don't think, and, and I made fun of their guy. Um, their main guy uh you know EAs oh. tend i think they, they probably don't hold grudges as much as most people but i i think they are trying to like you know i think they are trying to be acceptable to left-wing people maybe it's you know maybe it's um maybe it's a good strategy but yeah i doubt it i think it's probably not i think yeah the yeah like this is the very I, I think it's going that way like actually like an ai org that i really respect i i, I won't won't name them because i don't think they deserve more haters but like an AI org, like like they're like kind of doomerish, but I do respect them. Um, they they had like a DEI initiative for like Pride Month. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like EA is that far gone, isn't it, man? Yeah, that is bad. Have... It's it's just so sad. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is that that is sad. Yeah, I mean that that's you know that was prophetic. You know, right. EA will be anti woker or die. That sounds like every other left wing organization in the world. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, if, if I think there, there, if there's anyone who can kind of, you know, it, or like any organization that can, that can course correct, they, they just realize, oh, like all of the, all of the money going to Democrats is just a black hole. And we, we should, we should just be Peter Thiel. Like, maybe they can course correct, you know, you have some like right wing EAs, like you have Rocco, you have, um, Okay, maybe it's just Rocco. <laughs> um, you you have cold button issues. Yeah, Anatoly, you know? who's become who's becoming trans. Okay, yeah, maybe they're pretty the screwed. Yeah, he's becoming trans in response to the Ukraine war. Uh, who Anatoly? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that that that's pretty funny. Uh, my audience won't know who this is, <laughs> but uh, or or I don't know. Some some of them some might, of but like this guy Anatoly Carlin, he used to be like he. I think he is he still in Russia? Is he like? Yeah, he's in Russia. I think he's like ethnically Russian, right? I think he's in but, Russia. But uh, yeah, this Russian guy who used to be like very pro uh, Russia during the war, and then he just saw he just saw Russia being completely, you know, their military just being. A, a complete failure and just he he just decided you know like elite human capital goes to the west you know <laughs> and just became like a loyalist to like whatever the western ideology yeah, it's sort, of, it's sort of trolly but sort of real also so he's like yeah trans and like you know yeah cis is like a sign of like you know lack of development <laughs> <laughs> yeah anatoly 
Anatoly is a real is, is a real character. Anatoly Carlin for people who want to look him up. Yeah, <laughs> like man, I don't know. Do you do you think that there's there there's any merit to his argument that you know like it it seems like a kind of like it's it's like the efficient market hypothesis, but for like politics, like that like liberalism is just like you know it, it's it's just like the most efficient ideology. It's um, is it the most efficient ideology? Um, yeah, you know, I think it's that's like I mean, it has to have appeal. It won, so it has to have you know real appeal to people. Maybe not people, but like people who uh, matter the most, right? Elite, sure. elite human capital. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's I think that's right. I mean, the gay stuff, like. Man, like you ever been like you probably never grew, grew up around like really dumb people, and man, they hate homosexuality, <laughs> they hate homosexuality, <laughs> and they hate trans. And it's funny, maybe like high class people like don't love these things, but like it is a, it is a class differentiator. So it's like they see like uh, like lower class people being so anti LGBT, they sort of become uh, pro LGBT, right? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's sort of hard to get evidence on this, right? Because we all right, have... like Rob Henderson says, it's like specifically because they don't the, that like normies don't like it that they adopt these beliefs, right? Mm, yeah, I think some cases that's true, but we don't have like a you know a test case of like another universe with like another elite, right? Like every like elite in every country is like influenced by America and the West, right? Uh, so we don't really have like experimental or like like sure and like either positively or negatively right yeah you'll you'll have you'll have like the russian elite being like you know being like twitter boomers yeah exactly Exactly. uh like like alexander i I don't know i I should say like i'm pretty sure alexander dugan thought all of this stuff before you know before twitter but it is it is very funny how how like the the russian elite is basically just like polarized against like they're, they're like conservatives in the american culture war now yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's very and it's very. I didn't actually know why that happened. Like, like, what's the reason that happened? What's the reason what happened? The Putin regime became like, like the Russians polarized against the. Oh, I mean, they were geopolitical. It's pretty. It seems like there's a pretty simple theory. I mean, they were geopolitical enemies sure. for like natural, like NATO uh, kind of reasons, and they were like, you know, and they were like, who criticizes the West? We need a we need an ideology to like justify ourselves, uh, right? And uh, yeah, just saying we're not, we're the people who don't get. Uh, you know, we're the people who are not LGBT, who men are men and women are women, and we don't, you know, like spit on our heritage. I think that sort of became like the story they told themselves. Um, and, you know, the Eastern Bloc in particular, you know, was more conservative, right? Like Poland and Hungary and all these countries and, you know, uh, you know Ukraine right. itself. Uh, so that, that, that was a natural starting off point. This was a natural difference between uh, the old communist world in the West and then just the geopolitical rivalry, you know, like just to inflame that. Yeah, Hungary. I think Hungary is an interesting study of political economy, right? Like how, like getting all of these like right wing intellectuals there and basically, you know, like cracking down on the NGOs. Like, like you, you mentioned like someone being very pro, like cracking down on the NGOs, right? Like, uh, I think JD Vance, yeah. right? Um, and Hungary is kind of providing this as a sort of business model, like or not business model, but you know, like a political political model. Um, you know. Do you think that that's any kind of guide to building a right wing constituency? Hungary? No, I mean it's a very specific. It's a very uh... sure, sure, yeah, yeah. The right wing consti- you know, constituency, like, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, I mean, okay. Let, let me like lay out the narrative that I'm very worried about. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the narrative that I'm very worried about. I had a tweet like this. Like, we we're basically in like the Randian dystopia where people just kind of take away. You know, pe- people just envy and want to take away everything that's like that's like productive. And the only thing stopping us from 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 getting there is that like the people who want to take those things away are associated with like trans and drag queens. Yeah. Like it's just a completely self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Right. And like, if that, if that disappears, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe Curtis is right. Maybe losing is winning, you know, maybe if we win the culture war, then they'll just become socialists and, you know, they'll, they'll become like, um, and like, you know, we'll, we'll just lose Yeah, the civilization's over. Yeah. Although in the, in that time period, I mean, like constituent, like the, the reason that capitalism like exists, like to a large extent, and the reason that like it wasn't like completely bulldozed by public opinion and like what the people actually want, um, is the fact that there is a constituency for capitalism, which is you know business, right? They're 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 a moderating yeah. force on, uh, you know, despite their occasional wokeness, they are a moderating force on like economics and uh, you know the way our government is run and 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 so forth. Uh, so, like, the part of the goal, I mean, I think should be, like, you know, these ba- like win these battles, like this affirmative action case in SFFA, we Harvard, um, do the other, do the other stuff, too. Um, but also just, like, let markets go forward and let them create, like, new things. And, like, you know, give it a push. Like, I hope, I hope like, the uh, school choice thing is successful and, like, there's, like, all these, you know, pods and all these, like, private schools that just become dependent on uh, the government funding that are a rival to the... Uh, to the public schools and take money out of the public schools. I think that would be, uh, that would be great. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it just, it's going to involve, you know, sort of creating facts on the ground and just having a market economy, just defending the market economy and like letting it grow. Right. Is going to, um, uh, is going to create new constituencies. Sometimes they will be bad. Sometimes they will just be rent seekers, um, who are looking after their own interests, but sometimes, you know, they will be good and they will be, uh, they will be moderating forces. The thing that you know, the, the, I like, I like the sort of the, um, the, uh, right like the political economy argument is that if you have rent seekers who are actually engaging in the market that that's actually better right that that is the good yeah it's better it's not uh, like, or like at least like preferable to what exists now yes like uh, to complete parasitism people who are not involved in the market at all right who are just government employees or uh whatever um yeah you're uh you're right um but you know, like I don't think we're—I don't think the right will ever be the left. Like then it would then the, like what would be even the point, right? You're just gonna create these like useless people, like who have jobs that like don't actually be don't actually needed, but are protected by the state, and like government policy revolves around like satisfying them and making them happy. Like what would be even the point of that? You might as well might as well be a leftist, uh, you know, at that point. Right, right. So, so, so like that's a kind of fatal. Like, like that's you know the, the, that's one of the the messages of my like paid series. Right, I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you've read this. Your paper, right? Yeah, uh, pun pun Straussianism. That it's like that the culture war is actually good. That we need the culture war to last forever. Otherwise, we get socialism. I I think that's. I think you stole that from me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I that was sort of my. uh, That was sort of my um uh, the diversity one too. Yeah, I've had this thought too. Um, uh, I've had I've had this thought too. Um. I'm glad that you made that. I'm glad that you uh, made this point because, yeah, it's like, you know, I want something better ultimately. Like, I do think we could have like a, uh, like a sort of a you know, techno futurist uh, kind of, um, you know, genetic enhancement kind of, you know, freedom, uh, civil, you know, civilization that's oriented towards those, those things. Um, like today, like that's not where society is. Um, and maybe just having them fight over Dylan Mulvaney 
is like better than the alternative i don't know like you know it's hard to say it's like impossible to say because like in the 1990s like when the wokeness was not i think like the I, the peak of like when intellectuals were good and this is i think something that's interesting that people don't think about the peak of like when intellectuals were good was like the 1990s right when bill clinton was like a left winger right um and you know they were all about just opening markets i mean you know you, you might think that's not perfect but like before that they were social elites were socialists and after that they became wokes right and so that was like the neoliberalism was like the ideal of what you could expect from uh, elites and the culture was like you know was pretty was pretty uh you know it was it wasn't um as prominent as it is uh today so i don't know like maybe elites if they didn't have a culture war would just have like rational arguments where they'd all come to the conclusion that like markets are good and like socialism has failed like that's optimistic but like you know maybe i don't know like it's hard to hard to know these things right so so the argument here i'm not sure if that that matches the, the direction, like, like, I'm not sure if the, that matches the direction of causation. So the argument here is that elites were, elites were good because, or like, so, so you didn't have culture war, this made the elites good. And then like, then, then, then why did we have culture war? Like, like, like what's the, what happened? What changed? I don't know. Internet? I, I don't get this argument. I don't know. Twitter? The internet? I don't know women <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like the, the generational replacement plus the internet you know plus the wokes taking over the university then going up and replacing other things uh you know the, the 2000s could be seen as the continuation of the uh, uh of the 1990s and republicans right, but know. wouldn't that be the fact that like the elites changed first and then we had culture war wouldn't that be more in alignment with my argument yeah yeah the elites changed i think that we could see it as the technology i mean the technology changed i think before the uh, you know before the elites change but the elites change and then we had uh culture war yeah oh so so no, i no. i go after jonathan height along these lines right jonathan height says we had social media and this fucked up academia i'm just like you just look at the replication crisis where are the most bullshit papers concentrated it was like actually just before social media became popular right it was like the late 2000s that's where the replication crisis peaks and so like i attribute it to like a decline in meritocracy right i attribute it to like a mix of affirmative action and the schools just expanding. But um, like, I, I'm very skeptical or like, I don't know, maybe you can say it was like the internet, right? Like, like peaks in the peaks in the late 2000s, you can say like, okay, like this is like broadband, right? Um, but it's definitely not social media. It's not, what's not social media? I mean, maybe this. this so, like the replication crisis, decline in academia. Yeah. Like that happened well before social media. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think the, yeah, people weren't paying attention to the, too much attention to the universities though in the 1990s. I mean, it could have been just like a, the historical norm is for intellectuals to be terrible, but you had like the fresh memory of like the chaos of the 1960s and 70s, plus the collapse of the Soviet Union, right? And the discrediting of communism. And like that just made people rational because they like saw clearly like how terrible leftism is, right? Um, that could have been, you know, that could have been, uh, that could have been sufficient. And then we just, you know, sort of uh, slouch back to like elites being a bunch of crazy, crazy socialists, right? Some radical egalitarians. Well, you know, that's a plausible story as far as it goes. Sure. So, 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 so like, yes, yeah, so, so neoliberalism was this kind of like unique phenomenon. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that does sound believable. So, so like, like the implication of that is that you know we need to we need to fight more cold wars, um, yeah. Which I don't think like I don't think I particularly like we need like a communist enemy that like you know we need a woke 
Yeah, we, we need like countries in the world who are like actively engaging in communist experience. We need like n- more North Koreas, right? And we need to publicize them more. Yeah. Th- that's what we need. Yeah, although um, elites, I mean, are still with this Cold War, the victory of the Cold War is still with us because elites on economics are, you know, better than the historical norm, I would say still. Like I say the Biden administration is better than the sure. historical norm of what elites have been. Like I think the FDR, I think people in the FDR, you know, LBJ administration, I think they were worse. They just had, they had less to work with they had less of a you know infrastructure i think they were you know more sympathetic to like straight up central planning or communism um and like say biden uh, probably is um and so yeah i, I think like certainly fdr and lbj yeah, yeah. the historical norm well i mean america no america i should say historical like not including america <laughs> like excluding america which the, the historic uh the, you know you, I'll, I'll take it back i mean i think that like free market capitalism like the the like the, the classical liberal orthodoxy did dominate the western mind for uh, a while so I, I guess historical norm maybe the, the norm of like mass democracy right the norm of well which isn't that historically that long but like whatever you know since the 1930s or 40s or sure so so like yeah post-war the post-war norm. if you go back to like woodrow um, wilson right they were pretty they were pretty or like, okay sure yeah, yeah. And so so like start of or like around yeah around world war one ish to now hmm. yeah our elites are not that bad on economics compared to what they've been most throughout it most of the time yeah yeah there were yeah that's that's believable I mean, yeah. much of the media like the elite media like new republicans i mean openly admired the soviet union i mean they thought they were doing great things so you know you don't see that today um thankfully sure yeah the, the, that is a kind of thing where like yeah like oron oron mcintyre will talk about this all the time of like basically like the idw having a deleterious effect on the right wing but like i, I think like the never trumpers have had like a positive effect on the left wing right they, they, they've cut off you know they, they've been a moderating influence on the left wing and you know it's probably led to biden being like better economically yeah. than he would have yeah been. the coalition is larger right it's like all educated people now are like liberals or democrats right when when trump is the you know when trump is the uh, you know, when Trump is the enemy, you're you're right. That just sort of is the. Uh, yeah, actually, there was this fascinating article that uh, Jonah David sent me. Actually, um, did he send you this as well? Like the the article on uh, conservative donors and how you know, like Ezra Kleinism is kind of taking away conservative donors who just want to build stuff. Ezra Kleinism is taking away conservative. Donors. No, what's who's wrote this article? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm trying to find it now. Um, I, I can just send it to you later. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this fascinating article. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's pretty well reported that basically there's a kind of uh, there, there's a pressure on conservative donors. There's many more uh, donors who just see it in their self interest to donate to the Democratic Party now. Um, I, I mean, for like reasons for reasons we already talked about, I, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. But in terms of like actually in terms of getting their narrow kind of like permitting approval passed, that that might be accurate. Right. Yeah, I would be interested. I would be interested to to read this. I mean, the NIMBY, the YIMBY stuff seems to be just because Democrats are more like responsive to intellectual trends, and the YIMBYs have been winning, really winning, pretty decisively the intellectual uh, battle. Right. Like you do see. Yeah. And I think this says something good about the left that they're not just like they have like actual beliefs that aren't just like owning the cons right i mean that they there's this is, doesn't own the con maybe like I mean, they, i'm sure they some of them do think the conservatives do think that that they're just like trying to destroy the suburbs or something um the trump administration like so, you know people in the trump administration did say that but no I, I think it's a genuine like intellectual argument that uh that combine like you know 
rational free market arguments, but with anti-racism and like pro, you know, helping the poor policy, which just like hit that sweet spot of like, you know, ready to be accepted by the left. And even like people like AOC, like ended up accepting it. Um, you know, this is this sort of, this sort of hurts the, you know, they just hate markets argument of capital. It's like the leftist intellectuals are like accepting Yimbyism. Well, like, I think like the normie Republican voter probably, um, is, uh, you know, is probably going to, you know, uh, uh, homeowners association meetings or, or whatever, um, that would, that would be consistent with Kaplan's, you know, conservatives hate the left. Um, but the left-wing uh, behavior is sort of harder to explain in this situation. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Like reintegrating, like the lessons of Yimbyism, uh, into into how I think about the world. I mean, that's a that's a big blind spot for me. Yeah, not nothing I say about political economy explains symbiosis. That's good. I'm that's glad just, you're. I'm glad you're very. Yeah, I'm glad you're open minded. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're willing to. Yeah, it is. A, it is a big question mark though, because like yeah, like. Hmm. I guess like yeah, just enough like highly online people got together and decided you know like it's it's bad that people are getting are basically like artificially inflating home prices um you know and that actually worked like it's such a white pill but civil rights law i mean yeah. I, I think the vets work too i mean i think we're getting there yeah I there, there i think like the political economy is much more obvious like like there i would be surprised if you know like white people just kept being disadvantaged mm-hmm. Asians too yeah. and like just did nothing about it that that to me would be surprising but like you know like the, like the people the people invested in 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 nimby um, just like seeing their property values increase, uh, that that to me actually seems like much more of a of a kind of durable coalition uh, to me than the civil rights law. Yeah, right. I mean, there it is like it does fit into some things where it's like these locals with like very parochial concerns. You could see how like the left would like look down on it. It's certain, but this also even this like is against the idea that the left just hates like you know it likes the poor and unfortunate, or they you know they uh, they just like you know they, it's a very uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes just there's arguments like, okay, let me. I'm sorry, I'm obsessed with I'm obsessed with the maid. I'm obsessed with the euthanasia thing, just because I just so hate. Who, yeah, go go off on it. Don't worry. Right. This is the place for the. Rest, I was arguing know? with somebody, and they were talking about like, oh, like they kept bringing up Trudeau. Like we were arguing about the. Um, policy. <laughs> they were like, well, they say they're not gonna. Uh, you know, Trudeau says they're not gonna massacre kids, but like something, 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 and like, and then they would go back to Trudeau, and I'm like. <laughs> Trudeau has such an outsized influence in how you're thinking about this issue. It's like perhaps like Trudeau, like, you know, has some partisan instincts or, uh, you know, left wing tribal instincts. But like at the same time, like maybe Trudeau just like has compassion for people who are like, in, you know, are, are uh, terminally ill and like suffering and like wants to help them. And like you are like unable to even like understand this issue outside the lens of, oh, what's Trudeau doing? Oh, the left, the medical, you know, establishment is like trying to kill us all just like they let us take the vaccines right and it's just like you know these leftists you know to their to their credit like maybe they just weren't thinking about you and maybe they just had a good policy that's like humane and rational and like what people should be doing and that's like so beneath so beyond you because you are just like a person who only thinks in terms of like either a this thing got me mad on the internet and i'm gonna do something about it or like these people that i hate who do these things that annoy me like this thing or dislike this thing so i have to be the opposite 
uh, right. And so, look, I mean, people will, maybe some of your uh, listeners are right, you know, right when people say this guy's just like a crazy leftist, like, no, look up my work. Like, you know, you can't say that I don't criticize leftists or, or criticize leftism, right? I mean, if you've listened this long, you probably have heard me criticize leftism a lot. Um, but there are like very like large blind spots and like sort of how conservatives understand the world. And, you know, not all effects are flattering to conservatives. Some facts are more flattering towards liberals. I think Yimbyism and I think uh, uh, euthanasia are like examples of this. Right. Yeah, it does seem like, right, it, it does seem like to me, I had like this provocative or like somewhat provocative tweet a, a while ago that was something like, um, like, I don't believe like I, I don't think there can be real conservatism in a country that that believes all men are and that is premised on all men are created equal or something like that, and yeah yeah like th- this is something that I worry about in like the super long run. I don't think it's like too practical to worry about this, right? I think if you want to practically influence politics, this is not the thing that you're thinking about. But um, yeah, it, it does worry it, it does worry me that there's like that the that the right is so egalitarian and. That, that like it does have you know like either you can call it like the populist leaning or you know like a religious right you know um yeah in, in the long like like i would like to see you know like e- even if it's just like a niche party i would like to see like it just just like a very you know hierarchical you know i i know you don't like the term but you know like let, let's say let, let's say like you know hereditarian um you know, not not a different term, but let's say let's say hereditarian right, like very pro, um, may, maybe pro tech as well. Um, but just to see this as like an identifiable faction, um, maybe maybe you know, there's no point in discussing this, but like just just as like a hypothetical. So two things you can there... do: you can build a faction, or you can build a movement that like agrees with you, or you can walk around try to move like every other movement like slightly like incrementally towards your preferences right you could have like a sure. or, like i don't know like i think that's sort of what i'm trying to do like make a right wing that's like you know less uh you know less religious and less like sort of you know pro and like maybe to the extent that i can influence eas um you know make them like sort of less woke and the extent that i can influence liberals you know make them less woke and maybe see the good things in liberals and try to get them to like you know lead, you know uh, uh lean into that or you know avoid their most harmful impulses like i think that's like you know that, that that's also like partly a uh you know that's also a strategy that people should think of or maybe just do one of these i mean to do all these things is very ambitious but to do it for like one or two groups i think is is plenty for most people right right yeah like i don't know that, that seems very unsatisfying to me i don't know why uh, maybe it's just a kind of personality you type want, thing. You want to be like the big man, like the philosopher who just, you know, comes down from the mountain and like gives the world like the commandments and have everyone. Not people. necessarily the philosopher. I want to be the follower. I just want this movement to exist. Yeah, you want um, me too. You want the uh, you want the uh, uh, you want the joy of like fighting for a righteous cause, not have to like hold your nose and say these people are slightly better on average than these other people. I get it. I mean, the libertarians are close enough. I mean, they're close enough to me um that i you know that i can i can i can in good faith support most libertarian movements and causes and individuals so whatever close enough what libertarian individuals like paul ryan i, I guess yeah right? paul, ryan's, like paul, ryan. paul ryan's cool i like paul ryan <laughs> i don't care come after me i don't care yeah 
I'll be honest. I actually don't know. I wasn't paying attention to politics back then. I don't. I don't really know a lot about what Paul Ryan did. Life is ending the gerontocracy, uh, cutting up Social Security and Medicare. That's that's what you need to know. No, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like this is something that like. I think I mentioned this briefly with Lyman, uh, with Lyman Stone, but this is something that that just like shocks me that like the pro natalists aren't more, aren't more like concerned about this actively anti natalist policy that is. Did you mention security. that with Lyman? I listened. Right. I didn't remember that. Maybe maybe this was after. I don't know. Um, yeah, but let's just focus on the underlying point. Like, like the, this is a wealth transfer that is like agnostic of the number of children you have. You know, like people say, you know, like, like, oh, what if it's a burden on the children? Like, like, you know, even if we did it in an egalitarian way, even if we said, you know, like for we, we redistributed like based on the number of children you had. And that's how we did Social Security. That that would be far better. Right. That would be far more of it, like at least not a not an explicitly anti-natalist policy instead we have like a de facto redistribution from like from like people with children you know who would otherwise be like supporting their grandparents or like people or, or, yeah or supporting their parents uh to, to people without children like like that's de facto that is what social security does that is the line of redistribution of social security and you and you can say you know it's also you know why is like it for people with children it's all it's all people well why is the people from children the ones target I mean I know they don't get the money but they get everyone gets the same amount of money whether you you have children or not yeah well, like the argument and I think this is or like I agree with this is that if you didn't have social security like people would still be supporting their parents right yeah okay so you're, you're uh... so so if people are supporting their parents then like the money is going from the children to to the parents of those children right. But instead, it's going, you know, like some of it is yeah. still going to them, but it's still go, it's going to all these other people as well. Yeah. So I have children and they're giving it to like an uh, old man down the street who didn't have any children rather than me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah I, that, that, that was, you should have brought that up during the podcast. Yeah, I think I, I agree. The gerontocracy might be another thing I write more about. It, so. but there's just no, there's no, I mean, there's no. Not much of a consistency for it. I, I wrote my gerontocracy piece. I thought it was very good. It was actually one of the, uh, relative to like how good I thought the piece was like versus its performance, I think it probably underperformed as much as maybe almost any other piece I've written. Um, so there doesn't seem to be a huge mm. constituency for that, unfortunately. I mean, it got some attention, but like I, th- I thought it deserved more. Right. There was like a wave in the IDW. Who, who was that woman who wrote like the book about boomers? Helen uh, um, Andrews? Maybe I I, I don't remember. IDW. She's more like a you know conservative. Okay, so, so like yeah, like Eric Weinstein was also really like really well, interesting. Care about this, so because it's right? easy to just rail against boomers, but it's hard to like attack Social Security and Medicare, right? Because they're huge programs, yeah, very popular. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like this is the other thing that worries me. It's like right. This is my like. This is my like apocalypse uh scenario you know like this this is my like these are my priors on like doom is that like whatever is gonna doom us is like slow but also our our ability to react to it is just enormously slow like um even just like depopulation right depopulation um breaking down of supply chains everything just getting you know like on the on the you know reciprocal curve getting more expensive um in terms of uh losing economies of scale um even that even that is like something that i'm not sure if like the usg is able to address so so i'm kind of like i don't know i'm kind of medium term 
medium term bloomer, long term long term doomer. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if that checks out at all. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm a medium term. I mean, bloomer is that what the opposite of doomer is? I think I don't know. I don't think it's popular, but that's just what I say. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a short term. Like, yeah, I'm a medium term optimist, long term. Yeah. Ra- radical. I mean, a radical skeptic about the long term. Just I don't know. I have no idea. That that's fair. That's fair. So 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 like you just think, okay. Yeah, that that that's fine. Um. So like yeah. Um. Yeah, you're running low on time. Uh. Last question of the show. Always the last question of the show. Uh, for everyone what is one thing that had too much order and needs more chaos and one thing that has too much chaos and needs more order you know i've been on this podcast once or twice before and i, I don't know if like do you remember my other answers i don't want to give the same answers over and over i honestly don't the question that if um, it's, it's not apparently i have nothing memorable i apparently have nothing memorable to say i might just i might just repeat the uh i might just repeat the same answers I'll try to give. I'll try to. I'll try to give you sure, one. Yeah. I'll try to give you one. <laughs> I think. Okay. Let's see. Been, let's see. <laughs> yeah. I think. Okay. So, what's something that has too much has uh, too much order and needs more uh, chaos? I think that like I think culture, you know, has. I think people like don't accept like how chaotic culture is. Like I, I was, this is on my mind because I did listen to your Lyman Stone uh, podcast, and he's like, "Oh, we're gonna just tell the government to, uh, you know." Uh, uh, you know, uh, put this on TV instead of that on TV. And right, like, ban BTS. Yeah, yeah. That you know, yeah. people will have babies and like, like just too much confidence. Like just too much confidence that we we can. Uh, and, and I want to say that like it's too much confidence, but also like we should like be more skeptics about like the uh, about like what we can you know what we can do. I think culture has to be a little bit more uh, uh, chaotic. Um, will that give me results? I like maybe. Maybe not, but at least it'll at least create variety, which is fun and, you know, allows for uh, selection pressures and such. You know, there's a lot of like people trying to, you know, uh, change, stop the culture from changing. And I think there's just like, like, I think the trend stuff like is like an example. This is like, like by the time it became like the number one political issue, I feel like it's like already like perhaps on the downslope. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this. There's conflicting evidence uh, on this, but I. Right. Just look at effective altruism, right? Like Tyler Cowen called the top. He was at EAG, like, 2022 in D.C. Um, was it 2022 or 2021? I think it's 2022. Uh, it was right before It was right before FTX. He was like, this is the top. This is the best EA is ever going to be. And yeah. FTX just happened, like, two months later or something like that. Yeah, uh, right. And so something that um, has too much uh, chaos and needs more order maybe this is maybe this is uh contradictory but uh, i'll leave you with the contradiction uh I, i'm reading uh, yes. rob henderson's uh uh um, memoir troubled um and that's gonna it's not out to like you know it's not out to uh, for uh yet but um yeah i think people's i think people's lives just need more structure i think people are like you know maybe we need a chaotic culture but like you know uh just people like having subcultures that i think will be selected for in which people are just like you know they're regimented for a certain uh part of their life 
um, you know, they're able to sort of get discipline. Rob talks about going to the military and like, you know, how that changed things uh, for him. And I think that a lot of like, I think a lot of people are just like, you know, he, his situation was bad because he was in foster care and had uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, tough background. But a lot of people like get like the lack of structure from like having too many options from having like, you know, rich parents who just let them, you know, sit around, uh, sit around uh, in their room until the, you know, for many, many years. And that's not healthy. You know, I think people need sort of a, uh, uh, people sort of need some direction. Um, and so, yeah, I will say uh, the lives of men uh, probably has too much chaos and needs more order, but the culture of man has too much order and needs chaos. Hmm, that, yeah, that's very, it's very interesting. That's a great way to end it. Thanks for coming on again, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was my interview with Richard Hanania. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, the best way to help is to recommend the show or this episode in particular to someone you know, either in person or online. You can also help the show by subscribing on Substack, either paid or free, by leaving a five-star review, by leaving a comment, or giving us future suggestions about who to have on the podcast. There are many guests who have been on the podcast specifically because of those suggestions. So feel free to help us out in any of those ways, and of course, subscribe for another great episode next Monday. See you then.